Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another edition of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is episode 33, entitled Retro Food, where we'll be taking you back into the days of all sorts of different restaurants and food items that are no longer there. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me, as always, is Mr. J.T. Couser from Ohio. How's it going, J.T.? Doing well. How we doing, Todd? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Getting a little chilly here at the nights. I know, right? Yeah. Heater, air conditioner, what do you pick? Just open yep. the windows. The pool's just not doing well anymore. It's, it's no. it, Summer's over. But uh, Mr. Brian P. Miles, you went for a swim this weekend. You got a little last-minute last, last minute pool time in. Got my last, well, my last outdoor swim in. So, outdoor swim. There yeah. we go. And then I'll swim on uh, Epcot 35 weekend at the end yeah. of the month. Of course, when we're right. in the sunshine state, oh, where yeah. it's some where it's summer year round. That's right, just a few That's weeks true. away. But in the interim, greetings from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Thank you, Brian. Welcome as always. And reporting in tonight uh, with his spaghetti plots in hand, monitoring the Hurricane Irma situation as it bears down potentially on Florida, is Mr. Hal Bowers. How you doing tonight, Hal? Good. We're having spaghetti tonight as we go with the spaghetti plots to keep it all food related. Yeah. Do you have little placemats, like uh, laminate placemats? You lay the mm -hmm. spaghetti out where you think it's going to That's right. Yeah. <laughs> How best of luck in, in the meantime. I'm sure our listeners will be listening like right as it's all going down, if anything goes down, right? That's true. I guess by the time you hear this, it'll all be over, whatever or, it was. Or, or that you're listening to this in whatever shelter that you've taken. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because we have a calming influence. In which case, we hope the food is better or than maybe what we're going to discuss tonight. Oh, so, good yeah. connection. Yeah. But before we get too forward in tonight, let's uh, roll back to last month for some comments and corrections. Now, do you guys remember I called out, I said, anybody know anything about a pet food pump or a dog food pump that moved? The, the dog heavy food pump. Yeah, the lava in, in Universe of Energies. We talked about that last month. I did some digging and progress city usa actually did mention it in one of uh, his articles where he says uh that the imagineers faced a new challenge of finding a suitable pump to cycle the lava up and down because it was you know really thick and, and viscous i guess um conventional pumps quickly seized up and after experimentation they discovered a me mechanism that's ideally suited to moving the highly viscous substance a pump that is used to fill dog food cans so my personal recollection and that little anecdote there I, I i'd call this one confirmed i'd love to get some more information on if we could but kind of interesting Has, really hashtag that. confirmed there we go yep i i can just picture a very 80s epcot documentary like no ordinary pump could pump this lava we needed the pump from bill jack dog food like just some <laughs> really like in-depth serious comment about it t-shirt idea how huh? t-shirt idea oh yeah yeah 
People will be clamoring for that. <laughs> Lava pet food pump. Alpo. That's right. Um, the next thing we got is uh, <clears throat> Marty Alton called out on one of our tweets. Some of our tweets, uh, the photos that are coming out daily are automatic, and they pick randomly from our database of, you know, three, 4,000 different retro photos. And one of them was a um, uh, early concept model of Epcot. And we mentioned last month that, that energy was never in a different spot. Turns out, thanks to Marty pointing this out in our very own tweet, it, it, energy was in a different spot. It was over where um, Living Seas is right now. So it is interesting. So that did indeed move at, uh, at one, point, one point, which was pretty neat. But south still. Act, it was still act, in the same relative position. Act, just like yeah, I guess the actually we, we, we just had that image flipped, probably. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Brian, I did find a similar. I found accidentally. I stumbled upon one uh, this week too. That was, that was, uh, that showed it over in that other position too. And I was like, oh hey, what do you know, Brian? We have another one, right? Something about the turntables. Yeah, uh, I knew somewhere in my archives I had grabbed a screen full of conversation between ex cast members about those turntables, and for the life of me, I couldn't find it. Uh, when we were doing the episode last month on the universe of energy and its unique drive system. But I did find it subsequently. So uh, it's a conversation between three people. Their names are not germane to this conversation, but they talk about the turntables had a big problem and that they had to import a, a special talcum powder to cover underneath of it. And then uh, two of the guys that worked on it come back and say that they added three colors in half-inch stripes next to the in-ground wire on the testing track. It was supposed to distinguish the animation stops. The weight itself, along with 50 guests per car, made it a gigantic challenge. Uh, another guy says originally the surface was to be concrete, but the overworking of the concrete to obtain just the right surface and level weakened the bond so that when they fired up the air bearing that the turntables rode on, the concrete shattered. Uh, so the turntables needed to be removed and they installed some steel plates. Um, and then uh, they talk about how there were e-stops put in and how in the beginning those vehicles, when they were testing them, uh, were known to crash into the show scenes while, <laughs> while they were perfected. Yikes. Just Oops. like a robot nightmare. Yeah. I mean, you know, this really shows the testament. That thing ran for 30 years. I mean, think about it. It was amazing enough with the engineering that they had to do, but they had to go back and re-engineer a lot of this. It's, you know, yeah. Can you imagine it. firing that up and, and all of a sudden hearing, what was that? Oh, the yeah. concrete just collapsed underneath of it. Yeah, we waited all these days to cure it and took care of it. It's so gone. it's really a good thing that they finished that building 18 months before the rest of the park. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, all right, and our last comment and correction from last month. Do you guys remember <clears throat> we had a little audio contest, right? We put out part of the song. Oh, yes. Yep. Audio poll. And, and yes. Audio poll here on whether or not they heard Graces or Braces. So let's just refresh our listeners. Energy, you make the world go round. Let's hear the acoustic demo version of, of that song. Bringing our lives new graces. What did you guys hear him say? Bringing our lives new graces. Graces. Okay, I, I agree. I agree. He says graces. Now let's hear the version from the attraction. Bringing our lives new graces. I hear something different. You guys still hear? Graces. All right. I hear braces. 
All right, so we asked all of you to write in. And here is the final tally, guys, of what people have been hearing over the years. Uh, we have a new entry. Uh, getting one vote is Faces. I've never <laughs> heard Faces before, but we had one vote for Faces. Uh, getting eight votes was Graces. And Braces received 14 votes. Whoa. So a fair margin there uh, yeah. between Graces and Braces. So a lot of people, just like myself, thought he was saying Braces. And maybe, I don't know how you're the mu- musician in the group. You, you, you think it's just a pronunciation or a, uh, a post-production edit change or, or you know, so, mixing <coughs> thing that did it? So based on Brian and I listening with headphones versus listening through speakers mm. with if you listen through headphones you could definitely hear graces but that initial gr- was a little low so mm-hmm. if you just listen over speakers without the benefit of like the higher dynamic range like it sounds like braces so i actually a b tested it like speakers versus headphones and in headphones i i heard Grace is just fine, but I will agree over speakers, it sounds just like you say, braces. Okay. So, all right. So, so there we go. If you're listening to this, and you might want to rewind now and play it back on with some headphones, because we just played the clip for you, you can compare. Yep. And tell us if you... And you really want to find some circa 1982 headphones to get the full, oh, like, yes. retro experience. The, the big quarter-inch jack, right? Yes. You might need to get no an adapter. adapter. Yeah. The adapter <laughs> affects <laughs> braces versus graces. Yes. Well, thanks everybody for writing in for that, and uh, it, it was fun. Um, How and you've got one more thing before we uh, before JT runs out to the mailbag. You've got uh, one more item for the. This yes, weekend. yes. So I, I know as many people as as can are, are already signed up to come to our event, and in the course of doing that, um, we found another really cool event that's coming up, um, particularly for fans of Journey into Imagination. So. Um, the Disney Project, which is at the Disney Project on Twitter, um, he is doing a uh, a really cool event coming up uh, on October twenty eighth with Imagineer Tom Morris and one of the two original Dreamfinders, uh, Steve Taylor, uh, and um, they will be talking. Uh, they'll be uh, if you've have been on Twitter at all and you've seen. Um, any of the photos that Tom Morris has been tweeting out. He's basically going to be doing like a live uh, narration over a slideshow. He's got incredible pictures of the construction and behind the scenes that we've never seen before, which are, are just fantastic. Um, you can get tickets uh, there and get more information about it by going to disneyproject.com forward slash events. Uh, and I believe the tickets are $45 a piece. Very, very inexpensive. Um, should be really cool. And this Excellent. is one of those times where the other three of us are very jealous of how living in Florida within driving distance of this event. So, Yeah, we'd love to come down and do it. Yeah, so. it's a, I mean, with us coming down together for, you know, October 1st, it's, there's no way to get us back together again. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about doing a journey into imagination uh, episode. And I think one of the other reasons besides energy uh happening with that closing it's like one of the other reasons to hold off is i i fully feel it's like we're going to get a whole bunch of new information Mm -hmm. uh, during this event that we have never heard before for those of you that don't know tom morris retired within the last year from imagineering right yeah yeah and he's been doing this giant 
document dump since <laughs> since he retired of the stuff he accumulated over 30 plus years of working for Imagineering and has worked on just a lot of cool projects over the last 30 years. So should be a really interesting guy to listen to. Thank you very much for that, Hal. And hopefully uh, some of our listeners can attend that. All right, JT, mailbag time. I think you've mailbag. got the... Uh, one or two of them in there for us this month, right? What do you got? got? A couple. Yeah, yeah. Um, first one is actually a pretty good connection to our event later this month. Uh, mm-hmm. This is from Mike Mara. Mara. He's uh, saying hello from Delaware County, PA, Brian. Um, Hi, Mike. He's, yeah, there you go. He says, I uh, found your podcast last week or a few weeks ago. He started listening to it from the beginning. Binge, wa- binge listening. Best of luck to you, yeah. Um, he mentioned describing the monorails in the uh, Tom Nabby interview. Tom says that the monorails were using diesel electric, um, but he also made it clear that they ran on 600 volt DC on the rail, hence the need for the Nabby grabber. Uh, in mine, his father's memory, he never remembers the monorails being diesel electric. Um, is this correct? What was Tom referring to? Just curious on that one. Yep. So Mike and I went back and forth on this and uh, exchanged some emails, and it's it's a good question. And um, he 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 said he went back and listened to the episode where, where Nabby's on, and and uh, you know we kind of clarified. So I believe what what Tom was speaking of was the uh, the maintenance tug, uh, which is certainly a diesel powered device, oh, maybe yeah. not necessarily diesel electric. Um, but does uh, run on diesel power so that in the event of an electrical emergency or any other type of emergency, they can get to the monorails and, and pull them in. Um, so I think it was just kind of a, a miscommunication there and maybe on something that Tom said. But um, I've never heard of, and nor I don't think, you know, Tom's the expert. When you have a man who walked the monorail beams, um, I don't think anything was ever ever made to be diesel electric, and that would be probably pretty... Uh, pretty uh, loud and um, not to mention smoky and yeah all sorts of fumes and such. So. very futuristic pulling into the contemporary with your diesel fumes uh, Puma smoke. <laughs> you can imagine Bob Hope just passing out as he comes out just weirdly <laughs> she's running a little rich today folks hold your breath for the- <laughs> all, right. all right well thanks a lot Mike what else we got there JT um, this one's from Reese, and uh, I kind of did a little digging on this. Maybe you guys yeah. can uh, chime in. Reese, uh, their uh, regular writer, I'll say, was saying, uh, I was wondering if you knew anything about the voice actor for Buzzy and Cranium Command. She says, in all the videos she wants, it seems like his voice has changed from the show, the pre-show, to the actual attraction. <laughs> it makes me feel like they're two different people. Did they use two different voice actors? Uh, she was wondering uh, if the videos that are on YouTube have created this illusion, you know, just over time. Um, I just kind of looked into this very quickly, but also found that it, they credit one person, you are correct, Scott Curtis, doing this. I could be wrong on this. Maybe some of the other guys will say something, but I'm guessing it was just due to the audio quality and the two attractions coming from like a, you know, kind of thrown together pre-show screen to the actual ride attraction being different, but uh, I could be wrong. How is this another audio speaker issue we've uncovered here? I don't know. I, I mean... I would, there's a little bit of a history of that attraction of having a false start and then starting up again. Um, So my understanding is there was a third party company that was contracted uh, initially to put the attraction together. And I think Brian, you have some additional info on that. Yeah, the, uh, I actually listened to uh, an older, not older, I mean, but not a current podcast uh, that was done in the last year or two by Tammy Tucky, Tierra Talk, where she interviewed Jerry Rees, who did the Cranium Command attraction. 
And the story he told on her show was that MetLife itself actually wrote the first show. And at a certain point, he was called into a meeting with uh, some of the senior guys in Imagineering. And I want to say it was Jeffrey Katzenberg or Michael Eisner or one of them. And they he had, I forget what other project he had worked on, what attraction he had just worked on. But they said, what 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 do you think of this? And so he took the script and went home for the weekend and came back and said, well, here's all the problems with what they, because what it was, was it was a very uh, kind of scientific and obviously if MetLife is writing it, it's all about uh, healthy lifestyles and life insurance and things like that. <laughs> and uh, so he, he took and uh, made it an interesting you know, fun attraction and came up with the idea of casting actors in the, uh, you know, known actors uh, like John Lovitz and, and Dana Carvey uh, in some of those roles and uh, ended up coming up with the whole buzzy uh, thing. Uh, so at some point, you know, we're going to do a Cranium Command episode. Uh, in fact, having recently, we all kind of got into a conversation, having recently seen uh, that the attraction is still 100% intact uh, behind the walls there at, uh, at, at the, the Wonders of Life Pavilion, probably not for long, but it kind of spurred a conversation between the four of us that we should come back to this. Uh, my quick answer to Reese is I highly doubt that it is two different people but it is very likely it was recorded at two different recording sessions as they as they uh, tweak the the, uh, the the script and the final final product, which is not at all odd. A lot of times we find that bits and pieces of these attractions are recorded a year apart before it finally opens. So that's my guess as to what right. she's hearing. Yeah, and being yeah, a young, young man, his voice could have been going through changes at that time, too. If it yeah, I wouldn't part. be surprised if there was a delay between when the main show was done and then when the pre-show was done, because I know they had to kind of scrap the version of the pre-show they had, and they hired in uh, Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise from Disney Animation to work on it. And based on the success of, of them basically saving the pre-show, they ended up getting to direct Beauty and the Beast. So yes, that's... that's yeah, we're going to have famous story on that. Yeah, we're going to have to go back and listen. Uh, we'll all have to listen to that to that interview that Tammy <laughs> did with Jerry Reese because there's a lot of good stuff like that in there. Yep. So there you have it, Reese, the extremely amazing response by both of them. Uh, yeah, totally awesome answers. So uh, we'll be back on Cranium Command, though, eventually. Um, so that's what I got. I'm sealing it up for now. Uh, keep your comments, everything, emails, direct messages, uh, Instagram comments, Facebook comments, anything uh, could potentially be read live on the episode. Podcast at RetroWDW.com. Um, and yeah, also, too, don't forget, we haven't mentioned oh. this in a while, but people can leave a voice message for us at 978-71-RETRO. Yes. So you call that number. You want to tell a little story. you got two minutes. Tell us a little story. Leave us a message, got some information for us, just want to say hi, sing a song, whatever you want to do, 978-71-RETRO. So there you go, folks. Very easy to remember. Uh, leave us your voice message. Uh, totally awesome to hear those. We get notifications when those pop up, and they're super fun to listen to. So, Well, it's time to go into this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler. And guys, did you see the number of responses this month? There were a lot of them. There were a lot, almost as many as the last two months. So 
really flew in. They were coming quick and crazy. So uh, before we get to the answer, let's take a listen to last month's Audio Rewind Puzzler. All right, if you guessed World of Motion, it's fun to be free. You are correct, and we have a winner. Last month's winner is Laura Haddon. Congratulations, Laura. And you will be receiving a set of retro WW pins as well as the photo envelope. So if you've got that 35-millimeter film you have undeveloped since 1986, give it a drop in one of those photo bins that probably don't exist anymore, but you may just get your prints back. So... All right, so we need a prize for this month, and I have a nineteen spring 1983 Disney News magazine, and check this out, guys. It is perfect for this month. There is an article in here called Food, Glorious Food, Where to Beat the Munchies in and Around Disneyland and Disney World. Breakfast and lunch and dinner and all sorts of... All right, so this month we're going to throw in that Disney News spring 1983. Lots of great stuff in it. So to win that, take a listen to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler, send your guesses to podcast at retrowdw.com. All entries should be received by October 2nd, 2017. All correct entries will be entered into a random drawing to win this month's prize, which is the Disney News 1983 magazine. With that said, we also give away a prize pot at the end of this year. This is prize pot number two for 2017. And JT, you've been keeping track of what's in there. We've got two things, and you're about to add the third. So what do we got? All right, from the top. Now, this is part two of the prize pot for our listeners. Uh, We had two items added in the past two episodes. First one was a 1971 Life magazine, classic cover, classic magazine. Second one was a 1971 Look magazine. So we have two magazines so far. I didn't want to add a magazine, but what I have here, pulled this out of my archives, this is from 1986. This is an Eastergram. It's an invitation to the Walt Disney World Easter egg hunt. Uh, unused, and uh, Sunday, March 30th, and it's uh, got the rabbit from Alice in Wonderland, tells you all the locations. It could be the Disney Inn, Polynesian Resort, all over the place, and the best line, the Easter Bunny has hidden hundreds of surprises for you. So, uh, yeah, Easter Graham is going into the prize pot. All right, so in order to win the prize pot, all entries, regardless if they're correct or not, will be entered in the prize pot drawing that is coming out in December 2017. So get your answers in. And again, send them to podcast at retrowdw.com. All right, guys, so it's time we get on the main topic, which, as we talked about at the top of the show, is retro food. We are all sitting here with all sorts of menus and and, uh, memories of different restaurants that we've been to over the years. And we just got an email in um, from a listener sending us more scans of menus. We've got a lot to go through. But, Brian, why don't you give a little, you know, history of why we want to do this and and why why do we want to go over such an interesting or maybe people don't think it's that interesting, but why do we want to go over this with as an episode? Well, that's what we've discovered when... On occasion, we have tweeted stuff or shared stuff on our sites uh, related to some of the restaurants maybe that aren't there anymore, old character meals. Uh, the response we get from people is, uh, is immediate and often very intense, uh, almost as intense as some of those beloved attractions in the past. People remember places they went and ate with their family or or places where they had a unique meal or something that they really used to love. And it goes all the way back to the 70s. It goes back to when the parks opened 
If you look at conversations between older cast members, uh, there's one famous one that I've told you guys about a couple of times where uh, a guy started talking about the buffet that they had at the Polynesian in the 70s and how it was the best fruit cocktail he ever had. And every week he would get in line for this amazing fruit cocktail and nobody would go back for seconds for the prime rib. They'd go back for seconds of this fruit cocktail with the best peaches you ever tasted and things like that. So those are the kind of conversations that we end up finding ourselves in when we bring up some of these restaurants that uh, used to be there or menu items that used to be there. The Handwich being one of them. Um, so uh, when I mentioned last month that we are building and putting together an archive of menus, of classic menus uh, that we can, you know, assemble from the parks and resorts that are no longer there or just uh, happen to be vintage uh, menu items that aren't there. And as we started to gather what we have, it turns out between the four of us, we've got a pretty interesting and eclectic group of stuff. Uh, and then listeners have started to send us stuff. So uh, we figured we'd have an episode where we talk about it and some of the things that people have brought to our attention. And it's either going to be extremely popular or you guys are going to send us an email and say, please don't do that again. <laughs> there goes the idea of the of the of just the cake episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all pizzas. All pizza. All the history pi- of pizza at the resort. Well, I have, a, I have a funny pizza story when we talk about the resorts. Well, let's, let's get going with the pizza right now, Todd. Lead off with the pizza. So in 1980, we stayed at the treehouse. And um, I remember what, late one night we got back from the park and, and, and we were all hungry. And my, my father says, all right, we'll order pizza. They had, you know, Disney had this little sheet there next to the phone you could have a pizza delivered right to your treehouse and that was a big excitement for a little kid the pizza comes and my grandfather and and my father describe it as basically wet cardboard (laughs) with some sort of melted object on it he said it was the most god-awful pizza can we have the disclaimer that todd and i by default because we live in the pizza corridor that area from lower new england through maybe northern virginia where with smatterings outside not many but you can get very good pizza in fact our pizza standards are probably as high as they can be uh and so we know when you travel really anywhere in the country understand that in the last 10 years some places have developed their own penchant for higher-end cuisine and and higher pizza standards but there's a reason Domino's and Pizza Hut and those places you know dominated so much of the country for so long because pizza like I never order pizza in Florida because I think it's terrible no matter where I go and so you're adding that in there from 1980 at least it's good to know it's been consistent it was consistently bad then and is now so but um well let's since we kicked off in the resorts, why, why don't we stay there? I think we've got, um, you know, I look around at my pile here. And I, I know there's a couple things I want to talk yeah. about. Should we uh, hit up the uh, the Polynesian first? That's one of Howe's favorite places. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of stuff at the Polynesian, too. So um, Cool. Uh, one of the things in my collection is the last uh, Tangaroa Terrace menu. And mm-hmm. I'm curious who among us has actually eaten at the Tangaroa Terrace. We should tell people what it is. So the Tangaroa Terrace was off 
uh, at the Polynesian. It was off on the uh, right-hand side. If you're standing looking at the Great Ceremony House, it was between, back then, the Maui and Pago Pago buildings. Um, right next to it was also the snack aisle. And the laundromat's there, too. Isn't the laundromat? The laundromat, yeah. yeah. There was there was a little arcade. Mo- the Moana, arcade, yeah. Yeah, Moana <clears throat> Mickey's Fun Moana Mickey's, arcade. Yeah. Um, and so and it was kind of on a diagonal right to the, um, the, the it, center it, pool. It's still there, the by the way. You know, oh, yeah. I should mention yeah. it's still there. It's got the Never... Is the Neverland Club in there now? The the child No, care? no. That's around the corner. Okay, right. It's, it's primarily used now for, like cast member meeting thing so if you want to find out how your health insurance is going to be set up or you need to get your flu shots that's where you end up going yeah i have there. i have yeah. a few pictures of the inside of it currently mm-hmm. oh, so. okay all right now i ate there a number of my, my grandparents loved the pollination so i have a lot of food memories from from this resort and i remember eating there my my grandmother loved the the one of the signature breakfast dishes which was Tonga toast. Tonga toast. Tonga toast. Right, the stuffed, stuffed French toast. I guess you could call it. And uh, they had what bananas and stuff in it. It, was, it still you know, does. She, it's yeah. cinnamon. It's, yeah. it's cinnamon sugar French toast uh, with uh, banana slices stuffed inside of like a giant three-inch thick uh, yeah. <laughs> slice of toast, and it's about four billion calories. Yeah. So my grandmother would always get that, and she would also get a sweet Leilani. Which was a drink. I th- I can't remember what was in it, but it was a non-alcoholic beverage. I think it was like grapefruit juice or something. I don't remember. But sweet I, Leilani. I probably have a recipe for that somewhere. All right, gotta find that for me, please. Did your grandma get insulin for dessert? <laughs> grandma <laughs> ate like a bird, so grandma usually took two bites and then sent it over to Grandpa Joe <laughs> and, and to me to finish. Yeah. So so, so that. Uh, that restaurant was used off and on in the 90s. Um, and I want to say, uh, one of you can look it up, but, um, it, you know, sometime in the mid-90s during the last refurb of, uh, of the restaurants in the Great Ceremonial House, uh, they had it open uh, as kind of a temporary dining location. And to my knowledge, that's the last time that it was open as a functioning restaurant. And I happened to have the very sparse menu that they served when the, the last time that it was in use. Uh, and it was the dinner menu from five to 10. And there is a total of three sandwiches and three entrees on the entire menu. Uh, and one appetizer sampler platter of spring rolls, chicken wings, and barbecue ribs, enough for two, which they would have called oh. a poo-poo platter inside. Yeah. Um, but uh, the... I'll give you the very short menu. The very short menu was a burger, a chicken sandwich, or a club sandwich called the Polynesian Club, which was a club sandwich that they just threw pineapple slaw on. And then, and Polynesian. Then, yeah. And then on the entree side was sweet and sour passion chicken breast, shrimp and angel hair pasta, and filet mignon. And uh, that was the very short. And desserts, chocolate mousse cake, tropical fruit cheesecake, and apple pie. So and the you last, wonder by that. That by that time was it cooked up in the great ceremonial house and wheeled over <laughs> in a little cart. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, it. Uh, yeah. Like I said, that that they haven't used that building in so long. The room. No, no. For guests. Yeah, so, I got. <clears throat> I got yeah. to wander through there. I think it was sometime in the early two thousands. I just opened up the door and, and went in, and it still had these incredibly elaborate, like carved poles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that that ran through the center of it. Um, in fact, there's a picture in the Polynesian today. 
over um, by the as you go to walk down the hallway down to uh, Captain Cook's there's like some some pictures of like bobalong boats and things yeah, yeah and there's a picture of one of the sculptors working on it oh cool. um, which are cool and there were also like three very large tiki's that were done by um, oh shoot by oceanic arts um, and mm-hmm. two of those ended up in um, in Trader Sam's Grog Grotto today so you can see a little piece of the tangaro terrace uh still Over and, and the tiki's that were outside the tangaro terrace are now outside on the tiki terrace so. cool well at there, least there's a little little part still yeah out. and there is a um a video on youtube uh inside the last time that they were using it for meals and uh, as i said it's early 90s and uh somebody's vacation video at the polynesian so i'll have to find it and and click a you know we'll include the link in the show notes mm. because you know you get to see and obviously they hadn't done anything to it uh so moving along in the in the polynesia we get over to the great ceremonial house as we mentioned which had two restaurants so you know one is what is now kona cafe was the coral isle cafe and i know brian you have a photo that you love that your dad took from inside no um, that was an act it is the only time i can ever recall uh, that I paid for a single slide. Oh, that that's someone, the slide you put. That someone direction. auctioned, because it was a <laughs> photograph from inside the Coral Isle, now the Kona Cafe, looking out uh, right. on the second level of the waterfall. So it's from inside the restaurant, which is just a very odd uh, yeah. photo angle for anybody who have taken back then. And then just in the batch of was this, no, there's a film that we have forthcoming yes. shot inside the. We have now footage outside of that restaurant looking in uh that we just acquired recently so and the the um the coral cafe had a much lower ceiling as now you go in there kona cafe is very open right that you can you can see across the the coral you could see into the restaurant but the ceilings were lower it was right because back then they really wanted to to trap the cigarette smoke right right on top of you so that you could (laughs) so you got it with every bite and then we'll move it with fans from from the smoking to the non-smoking area um, and now behind that, where Ohana's is now, was one of my absolute favorite um, restaurants uh, growing up. It was the Pipit Bay Veranda. And why I remember this one so so well is that, uh, JT, you always like to make fun of the, the, the gold key plan that I was on once, right? Yes. Yeah. So we went there on the first night. We were staying at the Polynesian. It was the whole family. And we all sat down did. and we're tired. And my grandfather says, get whatever you want. You know, it's all, yep, inc- it all included. So I think, except with the exception of my grandmother and my young sister, everybody ordered filet mignon, and it was the most incredible filet that we had. It was like butter. It was just, and I have a, a lot of fond memories of, of eating dinner there with my grandparents and then turning around and watching the fireworks or going downstairs and watching. I had a great view of the castle. And I, I mean, it still does to this day, but um, I'm not one for the experience of Ohana and, you know. So I have a menu uh, that I've just sent to you guys here from that restaurant uh, when it was functioning. And you guys should note on a lot of these, we don't, they don't have copyrights. This one yeah. has a copyright, but it's too difficult to see along the scene. Uh, so I can't make out the year. So what, a lot of times we, we have to guess based on the price of the foods. And my guess is based on the fact that most of the entrees are between 15 and $20. This was probably late in its... Uh, in its in incarnation uh, before it began. Yeah, so I would have put this entree, this this menu rather in the early 90s would be my guess. Um, 
but it is interesting because uh, they've given a lot of pedestrian dishes um, Hawaiian or Pacific sound sounding names uh, you know where you but but it's very hot I don't want to say high-end but you know there's things like pheasant and um, uh, you know, a lot of stuff in like Pernode cream and things like that, mm. that it's not, it's there, not. <clears throat> yeah. There's a, I guess because it's that particular place is part of French Polynesia. There was an awful lot of like French right. style things on the menu back then. Um, not so much, uh, not so much Polynesian, but more of that colonialism type thing. Right. Um, right. and I just sent you guys like a menu from 76, which is, uh, like I wouldn't imagine going to a Polynesian restaurant and getting rock Cornish game hens as something that was no, no, and and I like how instead of it being you know pulled pork, they have Fiji pig and lobster. Like it's you you, you know it's an attempt to dress up pork and lobster. Uh, but yeah. I do remember this chicken pago pago coming up very often when people reminisce about that restaurant as a, a famous dish there, which was uh, really. It's like sweet and sour chicken. <laughs> it's, it's like a honey sesame chicken. I, I, More fruit cocktail. Fruit yeah. cocktail comes up a lot. Um, yeah. You know, really, when you think about it, the three re- these were the three main restaurants at the Polynesian. That really was the premier restaurant at that location, too. I mean, the Coral yeah. Cafe was really was a quick bite, so to speak, and Tangro Terrace as, as well. So, Well, there was also the South Seas Room downstairs where, uh, where the boutique is now. It, it was it was a fully functioning restaurant too um from what i can tell uh, a bit more intimate uh there were um it was sort of subdivided into like smaller rooms um with some of raleigh crump's tiki's from the um from the enchanted gardens in disneyland in there um i i've yet to see any kind of menu or anything from it but but something was going in, going on inside that place. How I know you also have been a collector and tester of a lot of the drink recipes from the Polynesian cocktail menus back then, correct? That is correct, yes. So do you have anything to add on that, aside from the completely funky and awesome fonts that they used on some of them? Yeah, the the one thing that I had the most fun trying to figure out, and I'll, we'll, I'll put a link on this because... Um, um, because I did sort of figure it out. There was this one oddball recipe that ended up in the bottom of a of a of a sheet that um, there was a story that Michael Crawford actually pulled out where he was he was going through a bunch of stuff I think for Epcot for D twenty three and came across this like um, type typewritten like on a typewriter menu and uh, he um, found this, um, this these drawings that John Hench had done. Um, where I guess Marty had gone to uh, the Polynesian to, to order a drink and got this just like piece of, of typewriter paper with the drink menu on it and thought, oh, we can do better than that. Uh, sent it to John Hench and then John Hench put together a drawing of what the drink what the drink menu could look like. Um, and there was this one drink on there called an Orlando Sour, which only lived for like a year or two and never was heard of again uh, through the Polynesian's uh, menu changes. So I was able to sort of reverse engineer what I think that was uh, being based on Trader Vic's uh, thing of doing a sour drink for each one of their uh, restaurants. So when they were in Berlin, there's like a Berlin sour, there's a London sour. Uh, so I was able to do some research and uh, and figure out which kinds of lemons and limes and oranges were locally available in Orlando in the 1970s. 
and uh, put together a what I believe would be a fairly, hopefully, uh, good version of, of what that drink uh, might have been. Well, what do you say we take a little walk over to the Floridian then while we're on our little resort lagoon? A, a monorail stop. We'll get bored the monorail. So, Brian, over at, at Grand Floridian, we take our monorail over. We had a couple different options back then. Uh, Narcusi's, which is still there, was, was one of the restaurants. Um, what is Citrico's was Flagler's. Um, named after Henry Flagler, the uh, Floridian hotel tycoon, I guess you could call him. Right. And um, we we have, you've got a children's menu of Flagler's and I've got the adult menu. Yeah, so why don't you talk about the adult menu? I do have a whole kids menu section at some point, but let's, let's what, what we okay. can touch on it here, absolutely. Sure, so I've got this, this date's probably from 8990, I believe. My grandmother slid this into her purse uh, on our way out, so... Um, the, what's interesting about the whole menu is that there's not a lot of interesting things on it. It's uh, an Italian seafood fair. There's nothing that stands out as extraordinary. Um, the seafood, everything but the sea scallops and sautéed shrimp, you know, with leeks, nothing exciting. It's, it's all market price, so you didn't even know what you were paying. Um, the uh, pasta, you know, fettuccine, gnocchi, linguine, Spaghetti with pesto sauce. It's just most of the pastas are twelve, thirteen dollars, and um, you know the meats. There's only asabuco and some filet of beef. So there's not a lot there mm. to. Asco busca though. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. They got the braised veal shanks with with diced vegetables. So, um, but even even the descriptions. I know I don't. We don't have a scan of this, but you know if I hold up the menu, the descriptions are extremely short. They don't provide much information about what's on the plate. I just found it. I, I remember eating there and, and had really enjoyed it. But I, based on that, I wouldn't be excited to go back. <laughs> well, I, I think it's probably important to note here a, a fact about food service at the resorts, which is that uh, when we talked to Tom Nabby back in the day about uh, the early years of the resort, and we've touched on this a few other episodes, that uh, there was no established food service distributors or anything in central Florida. There wasn't much of anything in central Florida. So Disney built their own central, it was actually literally called central foods uh, to supply and prepare food for the theme parks and the resorts, uh, which was built originally to service the magic kingdom and the two resorts that were there and eventually three or four resorts that were there. Uh, by the time you got into the 1980s with Epcot opening and then the big boom in building more and more resorts and and uh, developing the Lake Buena Vista area and into downtown Disney, um, at that point, obviously, Central Florida had built up. So the first thing that they did was they privatized or outsourced to a third party, which was Aramark at the time. Uh, the employee food, all of the employee cafeteria food in the parks and on property was taken from Central Foods and moved over to Aramark. Uh, and the employees at the time, like really wax poetic about the food that was prepared at Central Foods and how good it was. Um, and so that was not a change that they liked. And over the course of the coming years, eventually Central Foods was phased out entirely. So you've now got resorts and theme parks that have their own culinary departments that do some of the stuff on site. But a lot of it is outsourced to third parties. A lot of the preparation, a lot of the supplies are now, it's all third party uh, uh, outsource 
distributors that bring that stuff in and Disney doesn't do it on site anymore. Uh, so the reason I'm bringing that up now is you're, you're seeing just in looking at the menu from the Polynesian a few years earlier uh, to now getting to the late 80s when that trend begins, you see the menus becoming a little more homogenous, a little less creative. Uh, Disney had a really poor reputation with food uh, through the late 90s and a lot of the 2000s until they started to develop um, catering more to foodies, I guess. is a Yeah, so I'm, I, when we get over to Epcot, I'm going to bring up a really interesting point that ties right into that around the time. So uh, listen up a little bit later when we when I've got about four or five examples from Birnbaum's book where something very specific to food distribution is actually called out in a, you know, it's a guidebook and you would be surprised that they even they even bring this up in that in that function. So bringing it back to Flagler's, uh, I have the kids menu from the premiere of the resort. And if you remember when they opened the Grand Floridian, uh, they shifted the title of flagship resort from the contemporary where it had been since the resort opened uh, over to the Grand Floridian, which now became their showpiece resort. So everything there was first class, top of the line, still is for the most part. Uh, but the kids menu at Flagler's was literally a, a full coloring book and the with featuring Pinocchio and it's Pinocchio and Geppetto actually taking the train to Flagler's to have dinner and there's a there's a uh, you know how they have those book plates inside that you that will have a like the, a library will have a book plate inside the first page that says this book belongs to and then it's you know the North Public Library whatever there's actually a book plate in this where it says this book belongs to and you would write the name of the child and I visited Flagler's on and you would write the date in. And, uh, and so, wow. the, so yeah, so it's like a six page coloring book or eight page coloring book where you can color and on this, the, the center fold, uh, their waiter Antonio brings them their menus. What's your waiter's name? And you would write down the name of the waiter that was there. And it's a picture of Geppetto and Pinocchio sitting there and the waiter coming to give them the menu. And the kid's menu is printed on the opposite page. So a 1988 child going to Flagler's with their parents could get a petite filet mignon with wild vegetables for $10.95. Half, wow. half of a chicken breast with french fries for $8.95. A hamburger or cheeseburger with fries for $4.50. Didn't charge you extra for cheese. Or, and I'll bet this was delicious, you could create your own pizza with, with mm -hmm. mozzarella cheese and tomato sauce and a choice of pepperoni, ham, mushrooms, peppers, or onions, or spaghetti and meatballs, and your choice of beverages. So that was uh, that was the child options for Flagler's and your coloring book with Geppetto and Pinocchio. That was cool. Does anybody remember the entertainment at Flagler's? No, Todd, because we weren't on the Gold Key plan. We couldn't oh, go I'm, there. I'm, I'm sorry. We just <laughs> went up there. <clears throat> oh, no, no. Uh, no, there was a, there was a gentleman who came around. They had strolling musicians, and he would come around and sing Italian love songs to the to the tables. And go. My grandparents got got a kick out. He was actually followed you around the whole trip on the gold. Like Sir Robin and the Minstrels. In, Excuse in me, sir, I'd like Holy you to Ring. play some Clapton. Uh, go ahead. Uh, that gets me in the mood for a Play Freebird. Play Freebird. <laughs> well, speaking of music and entertainment, so let's move over to Narcoosies. And the reason I bring that up is that I, I ate at Narcoosies on our, our latest visit for the first time ever. It was good. Um, I asked the, the, the waiter who had been there a number of years. I said, oh, that's interesting. What is that? 
kind of platform up there. And he said, oh, well, when this first opened, they played jazz in the evenings. And he said, now look up. And, you know, you look up and it's nothing but just wood beams. And he said the acoustics were so awful that that plan just completely fell by the wayside extremely, extremely quick. And um, before you know it, that, you know, that the remnant of that tiered design where the band would be is, is still there. So, um, you know, that's just kind of a little interesting tidbit about uh, about Narcusis there. Now, I think we, we just recently got in. One of, the, one of the menus we got in was Narcusis, correct? Yeah, that email we got was... All right, so this looks like Narcusis from 1988. And uh, let's see, we've got fried soft shell turtle with lemon. Oh, what? How does that... Does that... Do you have a that often down turtle. there? An actual yeah. turtle? It says fried soft shell turtle with lemon, yeah. Oh. Uh, I mean, ma- huh. ma- main lobster, seafood stew, blackened gator steak, so you could actually get gator. Um, veal chop, lamb chop. Turtle is a part of Philadelphia cuisine from history. So we have snapper soup here, which is made from the snapping turtle. Uh, it was not an odd thing to see on a menu, terrine, terpene, whatever it's called, uh, on classic menus at the turn of the century, which is what the Grand Floridian is modeled after. So that's not such mm-hmm. an odd menu item uh, for what they were going for at the time. I've never heard of fried softshell turtle, though. Yeah, and the blackened gator st- steak. I mean, that sounds Creole to me. Um, I will take the one order of the three citrus cobbler with whiskey sauce. I'm all over that. That sounds, that sounds acceptable. Yeah, yeah. They've got. The I like all I can remember from these restaurants is every time I rode the monorail, they just they pitched the yeah. hell out of Narcoosies. <laughs> yeah. Join us at Narcoosies. Yeah. I think they still do. It's like don't forget, it's out there on the water. You can't see it. <laughs> I mean, where is it to... actually at? I've never even. Been it's near it. it's by the boat dock. It's by the Grand Floridian's boat oh, dock. Okay. Yeah. Um, seven Seas, Seven Scoops Spectacular. I like the tie-ins with the area. That's, mm. that's pretty cool. All right, so let's jump on the monorail and head over to the Contemporary, which has its own share of dining and entertainment. Now, I have in front of me here, this is from 1983. This is the Contemporary Resort Room Service menu. And it was funny, I'm, I'm in bed last night, my wife's watching TV, and I've got all these menus and different things, and, and I said to her, <laughs> you hungry, said, honey? Oh, look, yeah, you hungry? And she goes, I want, she says, get me a Jello mold, after I, sh- I held this up. I said, hold on, let me check. So I flipped through all day, dining, sandwiches, dinner, desserts, fruited Jello, $1.45, there it is. I love fruited so, Jello. There it is. So most of the stuff in here, you know, their all-day dining is not all day. Um, it actually has an end to it, so it's not 24 hours. Um, but the sandwiches, you know, turkey bacon club, tuna salad. They had Reuben's uh, dinner. Had the Italian spaghetti, as if you know, you know, you generally don't order a Turkish spaghetti or a, you know Brazilian spaghetti. But uh, um, New York sirloin. The one interesting, thing, the only thing in here that really tied in to the actual location was a sandwich called the monorail. And this was a yes. open-faced array of ham, breast of turkey, Swiss cheese, and tomato on a dark rye bread with Thousand Island dressing for five fifty. I have I have the room service menu from the year before. Mine is from mm-hmm. '82, so okay. I have uh, some of those same things that you're looking at, including the monorail, which I liked, but uh, and was going to mention. But uh, you on the um, on the salad menu. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. it or not, the sunburst salad. 
So oh, yeah, there it's is. probably a good asterisk to add here. Back when the resort opened, they had that contract for really 15 years with the Florida Citrus Commission. Uh, that's why the Orange Bird was there. And, and uh, in Michael Crawford's book, The Progress City Primer, um, there is a whole chapter on how they made efforts to incorporate Florida Citrus onto the menus throughout the resort. So not just in the theme park, not just at Sunshine Tree Terrace, but in the in the hotels and in some of the other restaurants on site and eventually in, in Lake Buena Vista Village, there was an effort to add Florida citrus elements to the menus. So on this one, there's the sunburst salad, uh, which is Florida orange and grapefruit sections with strawberries, melon and cottage cheese on romaine lettuce with brown bread and cream cheese. Mmm. Oh. Sounds good. Yeah. Now, do you have the Grand Canyon chef salad on that one? Right I below? do. I do. Yes. That is, that is There's right nothing below. special about that salad other than they could call well, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> my, my, favorite thing, my favorite thing about this menu is it also has the where you can have cocktail parties in your rooms, like order up cocktails by the pitcher for between 8 and $12 <laughs> delivered to your room, or if you're just a really big alcoholic. Uh, but but on top of that, they picture for one. Yeah, they have. The, yeah, this is this is Mr. Miles alone up in uh, up on the 14th floor. Could you please send up a a picture of my ties, please? Uh, and and so above it, they have cocktail snacks, and uh, so you could order like a tray of shrimp, like you could have an iced Gulf shrimp bowl, two dozen shrimp with cocktail sauce for fifteen dollars and ninety cents. Oh, like so next. Th- the the year after it went down to one dozen for eleven seventy five. Look at that. No, well, for a the price went up, and b look at that. I mean, they must not have been Halved. selling too many double dozens. They also had the crab. <laughs> does yours have the crab meat Royal Street on there? No, I ha- I only have the gourmet cheese tray and the, some crackers. The so. crab meat Royal Street was uh, per dozen. You, they were stuffed mushrooms stuffed with crab meat and cheese. Well, seafood was on its way out apparently in 1983. So, yeah. God, I'm just comparing the last two in my mind. It seems like the the Grand Flow was very like you know, oh, have your your total soup and you're different. Then you go to the contemporary. It's like, hey, I got a party. Send something for everybody. <laughs> Pictures and appetizers. <laughs> well, send it all. It was a convention hotel. Yeah, yes. yeah. Like, that's the it's like right? after hours. Right. Like you know, let's party in my room. I got a plate of uh, fried mushrooms coming up and a pitcher of booze. <laughs> and that's why you had Top of the World and Pueblo Room. Yeah. And the the Gulf Coast room, so I should probably mention those. I, I I don't know. I don't remember much about the Gulf Coast room or the Pueblo room. Um, I, I do know about Top of the World, so I don't know where we want to stop next. The only thing I want to mention is there in our uh, in our research of the 1970s stuff uh, that the employee cafeteria at the bottom of the Contemporary Reco- Resort is called the bottom the of the bottom world. Of the world. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's how they referred to it. That's awesome. So, Brian, did you ever? You went to Top of the World, right? We had our uh, our brunch. Uh, the only brunch I ever had in the 1980s that I remember was when we were on vacation at Disney World, and we had our Sunday morning breakfast or brunch uh, at, at the Top of the World, and it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. I mean, you know, I grew up in a house where there were there were seven of us, five kids. Uh, so, you know, you had to fight if there was a box of Cheerios in the house. You had to fight to get a bowl before it was gone. <laughs> so to be taken to this place where there were six different kinds of eggs and prime rib at breakfast and a whole ham being carved and 
and just trays and trays of fresh made waffles and stuff. You know, for a uh, kid that was for a fat kid that was just yearning to be able to eat everything, I was like, <laughs> it was like heaven. Like like that scene in National Lampoon's European Vacation where they're putting yeah, all the yeah. food in front of Audrey. That was me at the top of the world brunch that I remember. Like it was just, it was I'd never seen anything like it in my life. So he didn't focus on the architecture and the view. He just I, went for I the food. just man, it was the waffles. Like you you mean I can put as much syrup as I want on this and my parents aren't gonna yell at me? Like, let me just keep pouring the syrup on. <laughs> so nightly at six and nine fifteen PM they would put on the top of the world Broadway review show, which was a, a you know I, I went to it. I it's not it's not in my wheelhouse, let's put it that way. You would have preferred the Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop. Yeah, maybe. Or that that rock band that was performing in the uh, Magic of Walt Disney World film that we restored at the end. They were were singing uh, Three Dogs a Night, Joy to the World. Yes. So, you know, maybe we'll do a dinner show thing. We could talk a little bit more about it. um, You know, dive in a little more. So that's the episode everybody's waiting for. Yeah, exactly. The dinner dinner show show episode. That's why I said maybe. So before we take a boat over to Fort Wilderness, I, I should have let you know, I've got the American Express Presents Walt Disney World Dining and Shopping Guide from 1994-1995. Do you oh, guys yeah, remember these? Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. These were great because I remember carrying one of these around and my grandparents yes, would the say... the white glove one. Yeah. I had that. Yeah. Okay, so Todd, did you get the... F- did you get the fanny pack that had that logo on it? I oh. did, and I wore it for two vacations. <laughs> <laughs> he liked that. I was like in middle school when that came out. I go, this is awesome. Yep. <laughs> now, the best part is that they had the direct dial phone numbers of all the restaurants in here. So like the Yacht Club, Yacht Club Gallery is 934-3355. And if you want to call the Yachtsman Steakhouse, it's 934-3356. So... You you know, this is in the days of, uh, you know, just calling up or even just walking in. And I remember flipping through this and going to my, you know, family or grandparents or whatever. Oh, let's, let's, let's eat here. It's right nearby. Okay. And you'd walk in. So, but uh, JT, you need to talk about one of your favorite places. We're going to need to take a, a little boat over to Roy's cabin and uh, check out. Yes. All right. Um, this one I actually uh, snagged. Fort Wilderness. I mean, there's not much there as far as dining, but Crockett's Tavern was always the one. Have you, either of you guys ever been there? I no. I have been there. Okay. Um, you know, and what's cool is on the menu that I have, this from 92, a little bit out of our wheel well, but uh, close enough. The one thing, it, it, and they don't do this as far as I know, that on the menu there, they describe all the random artifacts in the restaurant. So, like, they tell you about the big uh, birch bark canoe that's above you when you're eating, like, descriptions. So it kind of gives you something to do if you're waiting on your food. Um, I did kind of go through this, though, and look, and the thing that stuck out to me were the tavern drinks from the Tennessee Hills. All right. So it's very, Some hooch. Yeah. Yes, and one of them named, and I'm curious, this is a little quiz, one of them was called the Gully Wumper. What do we got? Tell me where it's from. The, from the Mike... Okay, so, go ahead. Yeah, that was Mike Fink's boat, right? Uh-huh. Yes. Which also yep. existed as, as the attraction over at You're right. the Magic Kingdom. Yep. Cranberry and orange juices, peach schnapps, and vodka. I don't think Mike Fink smooth. was drinking that. That's just a, <laughs> just a guess. Um, various things, Crockett's Hickory Smoked Prime Rib, Texas T-Bone, Georgie Russell's Bourbon Tenderloin, lots of, uh, you know, Southern fare, we'll say, the Blazing Buffalo Wings. Um, Was this this in the tavern, you're saying? 
Uh, yeah, okay. but it was more of a restaurant. I mean, it was now it feels, I don't know, it depended on the era. We went one year and it was a very standard sit-down restaurant menus, and then they turned to more bar food, just go to the bar, place your order. Now it's kind of back to a menu-type place, okay. so it's it's changed over the years. Um, just gone back and forth, but pretty solid menu as far as, uh, you know, what they have to offer. The Kentuck homemade sausage, cheese, and fruit platter was a hit Absolutely. for sure. And the Raging Cajun Shrimp Cocktail. So, uh, yeah, Crockett's Tavern at the Fort. Definitely one of my favorites. So we're going to hop aboard the boat and take it over to the Magic Kingdom and uh, walk down Main Street, USA. But um, starting off on the right-hand side of what was originally the Gulf Hospitality House. You guys remember when it was called that? I do. I do. Yeah. My grandmother always referred to it as the Hospitality House, no matter... What it said out front, it was the hospitality house. But this the restaurant in there has been through a lot of different changes over the years, and I've got um, quite a few menus from it. Do you guys remember how they would... The, the, I don't know if they still do this, but the menu was always set up like a newspaper. See here, you've got the Main Street Gazette, and there's all these fancy articles on it about Tony's winning a, a award, and then they've got the, the menu on the side. But this other one dates from... The Hormel days, because uh, Hormel was a sponsor in there at one time. This is uh, 19, 1987, the Town Square Times. And this one actually uh, opens up with a giant menu in the center. Um, quite quite large. So, um, so, so was what is now Tony's Town Square Cafe considered part of the hospitality house at that point? Because I, I only knew the hospitality house is like you'd go in and get some, you know, maps and information and stuff. Yeah. The, well, what's always interesting about that is the hospitality house sign is centered over the entrance to kind of to both. And, and I, I don't know. I always kind of group them together. And, and the remainder of what was the hospitality house area where they had the large uh, reception desk kind of thing. And it had a beautiful map of the resort property behind it. Uh, that actually is captured in a couple of slides that I have and have recently tweeted. But uh, that is the, the remainder of that space is the Tony's reception area now, where you're going to wait and check in for your for your table, um, and then parts of the restaurant because you know they cut it up and they they added shops, you know, down at the right, end right. of Town Square, and also they 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 cannibalized part of that space, didn't they? Yeah, and that's yeah. actually where you meet for tours now and, and right. everything. So yeah, it's and a meet, lot. Different. And meet Mickey and the, the yeah. Mickey meet all yeah. back. There. Right, he's mm -hmm. in the back. You used so, to have a Disneyana shop in there for a little while. Yeah. yeah. So this bill of fare from this is the Hormel days. So this is about 1987, and we're going to roll back in time a little bit after this. But I found this interesting that it basically, if you don't like smoked meats, don't eat here <laughs> because it's barbecued shrimp chili barbecued chicken smoked beef smoked pork there is a t-bone but then there's ribs and then you got combinations of everything and then the really odd thing i mean hormel is known for their smoked meats and things and it says here farm fresh catfish from hormel it's like when since when did they get into the farm you know <laughs> catfish huh. business there's a burger and a seafood and chicken plate for those but um you know before hormel was there we had uh oscar meyer was the sponsor um, of that restaurant and um a, a episode on food would not be complete if we didn't mention um little oscar so who have you met little oscar not me 
Not me. Come on, Hal. Not, not I. You didn't meet him? No. They, they uh, didn't eat in the parks. They, they just had no, that's pie. That's true. They, were out, they just had we pie. Ate, huh? Yeah. We, <laughs> ate at, oh, we ate only a select few places, which I will be more than happy to share yes. at the appropriate time. Okay, they haven't come up yet, but we're 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 counting on you to. to we're we're running out of places. Yeah. Here. We were never allowed to actually sit down and eat a meal in the <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, and I I did get to meet little Oscar. I remember him coming over to the table at one point. Um, so little Oscar uh, was a little person by the name of George Mulchan. Um, I think there were a number of them over over the years. Uh, he was he re- relocated to Orlando uh, specifically for that job, and he was there from the mid seventies. Um, and he retired in 1987. So it's interesting how that times with this Hormel ad. Did Hormel take over Oscar Mayer? I don't know, but because this is 87. But um, so he he would he would greet at the table. He was a little person. He had a chef hat, all dressed in white, with Oscar Mayer logo on it, and um, he would hand out plastic rings of of little wieners. Right, there were little hot dog <laughs> rings that he would hand out. I didn't get one. Um, was it UJT who found the photos of, of the rings? Uh, no, I think it was Brian, wasn't it? Uh, we actually got a, an email or a tweet from one of our listeners who said, you guys better talk about the wiener rings. And I said, <laughs> the, the, and the wiener whistles. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he actually sent us uh, some of them that are for sale on, on eBay that uh, yep. apparently Oscar used to hand out these little, you know, they're like Cracker Jack prizes. Yep. yep. No kidding. So... So George George passed away in April of 2005, and um, I think it's kind of neat that Oscar Mayer did send one of the Wiener Wiener mobiles to the cemetery, and uh, during during his ceremony they they sang "Oh I wish I were an Oscar Mayer Wiener," <laughs> and then followed it with a with a Wiener whistle toots of tribute as they call it. No, so, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Huh. presumably he uh, he filled that role uh, throughout the Oscar Mayer years, which was from when the park opened until the early 80s and most of those contracts were 10 years uh, and then Hormel stepped in and took over as the sponsor and so I have put before you guys in the notes here and just tweeted out the two breakfast menus side by side you can see there was not much of a change in terms of what was offered uh, between the two sponsors no. that the menu is virtually identical um, right down to like Waffle Saratoga, keeping its name and and the font even stayed the same. Yeah, the font, the <laughs> colors, a uh, little bit of the design of the, of the menu change, and of course the prices went up. The interesting thing to me is the food prices do not change that dramatically, but look at the bottom at the drink prices that skyrocket. Um, Net tripled. Oh yeah, which is just interesting that that the food prices, you know, went up uh, what you would expect probably inflation over those six or seven years, but at the bottom, a thing like uh, a cup of coffee went from thirty-five cents to seventy-five cents, and same thing with tea and hot chocolate and stuff. So maybe they suddenly realized that uh, that they were undercharging for their drinks, and they could really start to gouge people on the on their hot beverages in the morning, and then Starbucks turned it into a national phenomenon. Thanks, Tony's Town Square. Yeah, <laughs> I have the uh, I have the 1976 bicentennial menu for the Liberty Tree Tavern, and uh, and that's kind of interesting uh, because one of the conversations on the on the ex cast member boards is that there was a period of time where this English walnut bread 
at the Liberty Tree Tavern was famous. Like it was, people would just come from all over to eat there to be able to get the bread because it was so good. And apparently they would even sell extra loaves out of there. And I can't really imagine going anywhere today and buying a loaf of bread from my Disney World restaurant, but uh, there are a couple that I would like to be able to do that from. Uh, but so back in 1976, uh, it was an interesting menu uh, because they went with the whole colonial thing. There were two interesting things on here. One is Philadelphia pepper pot soup, which uh, for those of you not from Philadelphia and don't know what it is, pepper pot soup is a soup that uh, the meat in it is tripe or tripe as the uh, Italians call it. And if you've never seen tripe, uh, it is pretty gross looking because it's the lining of the intestines um of a cow i believe and uh they turn it into a soup which i've eaten on many occasions and is quite delicious as long as you don't think about what you're eating uh but there are chilled specialties you could get chilled roast beef or a bouquet of seasonal fruit but in the entrees uh there was pennsylvania pot roast but in the spirit of 76 the bicentennial special there was also Pennsylvania pot roast, except it included dessert and coffee. And instead of being 325, it was 395. So to celebrate the bicentennial, they added in dessert and coffee for an extra 60 cents. Not a bad deal. No, no. And you had steak, uh, steak Monticello, uh, yeah. which was a, t- are you ready for this? Chopped sirloin steak topped with a sauce of cheddar cheese and white wine with bacon crisps vegetable and potatoes and seafood chesapeake which was a puff pastry filled with pieces of shrimp scallops and crab and a light cream sauce with burgundy and vegetables so it sounds delicious and the kids menu i always have to mention the kids menu uh fried chicken or pot roast so i i have an interesting anecdote here from adventureland at the adventureland veranda um, this is this is Burnbaum saying this. He says, "Note that waiting lines here usually take about five minutes longer than those of similar lines in other <laughs> fast food establishments because any guesses of the greater number of choices." So I guess oh. back in 1986, it was hard to choose. Well, I ha- I probably have a menu that is that is from about that era. Mm-hmm. So so here's what you could have gotten: the Polynesian burger, which I understand was very popular, was I think a teriyaki burger. Yeah, it had a had like a pineapple soy glaze on it. That's the pineapple soy teriyaki type of thing. That the menu, the recipe is circulating for that glaze. No, it, that's because it was this restaurant was sponsored by Kiko Man, right? Right, that is correct. Yeah. Um, then the, the teriyaki chicken sandwich. A shrimp fried rice with egg roll, which is Brian's favorite, I'm sure. You could get uh, two egg rolls as a side order at that place, Hal. So it would right. have been my favorite restaurant. Uh, the sweet and sour chicken. Um, what I always ate when I went there, the uh, stir fry beef and broccoli, which was my first introduction to that. Uh, a lo mein salad. Uh, a South Seas fruit salad. Again, the fruit salad. Man, people went for that. Uh, and for the kids, the Young Adventures, uh, chicken nuggets, hot dog basket, <laughs> and a soft drink. <laughs> and of course, you could get French fries or or the two egg rolls for two dollars and ninety four cents. And so people t- know how the Adventureland veranda then was just as you cross the bridge into Adventureland on your right, where the Skipper Canteen and stroller parking is now. Except it was like an open air quick service, right? No, no, this was the actual. What is now the the Canteen was the Adventureland veranda. So you would you would where you walked in where you walk into the um, to the canteen now, 
Um, that entrance was actually like a side, just more seating. Okay. And the main dining room, uh, where the where the fake doors are up above that have like the names of like Harper Gothing people yes. on it. Underneath that was um, that was the counter where you would it was counter service restaurant. So that's where you would stand in line, order your food, pick it up at the window behind, and then take it out to your one of the many tables spread out all over. So I've seen pictures of people sitting at the tables there, right where the swan boats would pass by. Um, yes, was that open air or was that were that closed and air conditioned? So there were there were two actual open air verandas, which was a lovely okay. place to sit. Um, that you could take your food outside and, and sit outside and watch the swan boats. That, that's why that's why I asked because I've seen pictures of it in use, but never quite got it. But it looked like a beautiful place to have a meal. Oh, it was, it was really nice. Todd, I think you have something you want yeah, to... Yeah, Birnbaum really didn't like this because I'm reading through here. He says, cornstarch <laughs> is heavily used and the chefs occasionally stir-fry the vegetables into sogginess. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, but in a in a um, in an environment that was otherwise just hamburgers you didn't. and hot dogs yeah, everywhere, that, yeah. it was a different choice. Yep. And there was, you know... It was that was a rare thing, exactly, and a, an affordable rare choice too. It's not like you know it wasn't a twenty dollar entree. Uh, you know, it was the beef and broccoli was like uh, four dollars and fifty four cents or something. So <laughs> it was a good deal. Four eighty four, four dollars and eighty four cents. So let's jump off the veranda onto one of those passing swan boats and uh, take it right over to Cinderella's castle now. What do they call it now that's upstairs? What is it? Cinderella's Royal Table, right? Cinderella's Royal Table. Right. So back then it was King Stefan's Banquet Hall. And do we ever know why in Cinderella's Castle it's King Stefan who is from Sleeping Beauty? What's We we I think we I think I may have talked about this. Um, did we mention before. it before? Maybe we did. Um but for the for the benefit of those who uh, may not have heard it or if we did not do it, um to the best from what I can figure out, it was an actual mistake. It was a pure and simple, complete wow. screw up because a lot of people, I've I'd read these theories of like, oh, well, in a castle, it's like they would name one dining area after the king of like a, of a kingdom that was next door. Um, but we, what we discovered is that in the early nomenclature um, booklet, um, that the candy shop also said something about like by the royal order of King Stefan. So it was it was a complete screw up. Okay. They just picked the wrong name with that. So those were the days when you could eat upstairs with King Stefan, right? And uh, I ate up there once. I remember the the glass mug was the famous takeaway from that. You guys remember that? The uh, yeah, like you the, gave one away. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's right. We gave one away about a year and a half ago or so. Well, and the uh, famous thing about that restaurant, which no doubt your Burn Bombs Guide covers, is until recent years, the reputation was always that the food was barely edible in that restaurant for yeah most of the years that it existed. What we've, we've got a couple others to cover, right, right, Brian? We've well, there are two. Two we should note. The first is uh, the Aunt Polly's on Tom Sawyer Island, which for a time, and this wistful people like '90s kids remember this. For a time, it sold uh, cold fried chicken, so you could go and get like a box lunch of cold fried chicken from Aunt Polly's or ham and cheese sandwiches. So back. Back then, Magic Kingdom was really crowded, or you happened to be over there, you could plan your lunch, 
And Tom Sawyer Island has a variety of picnic tables throughout it. So it was a really nice place to kind of go over and grab a bite to eat. And it has sold various food items over the years. I mean, the menu there has always changed. Now, when on the rare occasions that it's been open, uh, it just usually sells like chips and cookies and stuff. It's because obviously all the food over there, they have to boat it over. Uh, yeah, I used to get like a like a uh, dill pickle like out of a jar over there yep. as a snack. And and right across the river from Aunt Polly's, we cannot forget to mention the Diamond Horseshoe, which for so long was closed and is now open again, serving full meals from the same kitchen as Liberty Tree Tavern uh, because they share a kitchen. But the uh, back in the 70s, it had a menu. It had a lunch menu. And I happened to have it here in front of me. And uh, it was not extensive, but they offered snacks. You could get ruffles or Fritos, brownies, chocolate chip cookies, a dessert cup, whatever that is, Strawberry, oh, it is. It's a dessert cup of strawberry shortcake, Boston cream pie, or coconut cream pie. So unless Hal remembers, I'm just going to assume these were, these were like those KFC little bucket parfaits you used to be able to get. Thanks. Yeah, we we always ordered the little sandwiches and the and the chips there. That was one of my favorite shows. That was at the time. It's like I, I think I probably have said this before. It's like people would make a beeline to initially it's like you would go get your reservation in the morning and there was little cards that they would hand out saying you had like reservations for a table of four at two o'clock you would go as quickly as you could to the front of the diamond horseshoe in order to pick up that and then later on they switched it to a location on main street where you would get that so that day that time i like ran over to the front of the diamond horseshoe and then went back to main street in order to get in line for that so there were three sandwich options on this menu uh they were the picos bill which was ham salami pastrami and cheddar cheese on whole wheat bread the diamond gym which was shaved turkey breast on white bread and the slewfoot sue which was smoked ham and American cheese on white bread. All sandwiches served with a choice of Ruffles or Fritos. If you remember, Frito-Lay sponsored a lot of stuff in the in the kingdom back then. But this was also the location where both Pepsi and Coke sponsored it, uh, if you remember. So uh, oh. you could get uh, a can-can punch, which was non-carbonated, which was a fruit punch. But the soda options there were Coca-Cola, Diet Pepsi, Sprite, and regular Pepsi. So you could get Coke or Pepsi there. This is like the demilitarized zone of no Diet <laughs> of Coke. Magic Kingdom restaurants. Um, oh, that didn't exist It didn't yet. exist yet. Diet Pepsi was out in the market before Diet Coke was. Good look at that. Gosh. One, one of the few places we had, did actually get to go eat in the Bowers household, and we ate there a lot, I think, because my mom had a thing for chicken, was the Columbia Harbor House. Um which is, is still exists and, and now is known for, I think it's bread bowls of, or did they get rid of the bread bowl with the clam chowder in it? Or is it still there? I think there was, I think there might still be some, there. a lobster roll some last reason. time. Yeah. Oh, cool. I don't know how, um, because we don't cover current events at the parks. We only talk about that's right. things we you could no eat 30 idea. years ago. <laughs> Very useful. Um, but back in the 1980s, I, th I think what it was probably mostly known for, um, it was one of the few places that had like chicken fingers because that was a relatively new thing. And um, what always got us was um, it came on this gigantic pile of French fries, like as big as your head. You would get like five or six huge pieces of chicken 
and then all these this like this incredible amount of french fries that you could never eat like in your lifetime like on top of that too so how was that like a, a meal for one technically or was that like a twofer that was a that was a one so person. you went there you could get like two or three of those and the whole family was set oh my god yeah so i would i want to say probably by by the 90s they, they might have changed like service providers and then it got cut down to like a very normal amount of fries sure. but there is something else notable about the Columbia Harbor House, uh, which is it was one of the locations on property when Disney World opened that you could get the famous Monte Cristo of Disneyland's Blue Bayou. Uh, they, they, they did copy some of their most popular offerings from Disneyland at Walt Disney World and it opened. Uh, and they sold that Monte Cristo into the... 80s uh before they stopped set well really when they did away with central foods um they, they they stopped selling it there but if if those of you who don't know there's a famous like four billion calorie uh monte cristo that they sell in disneyland which comes with this raspberry sauce and powdered sugar on it and i don't know how anyone eats a whole one but people oh, do it i love them so the Harbor House was one of like four locations. There was one in downtown Disney. There was a might have been, there was another location in the Magic Kingdom that had one of the sit down restaurants. But the reason I also bring it up is the cast member chats. Uh, that was one of the items that they could get very cheap in the cast cafeteria. They could get the the Monte Cristos for like a dollar fifty or something. So uh, oh, fantastic! Yeah, so that's why a lot of them I guess are dying off now because they lived on a steady diet of Monte Cristo's. (laughs) One of the cool, other cool things about the Harbor house is it's one of the few um, restaurants there. There's actually a second kitchen upstairs. So on those rare days when the upstairs and the downstairs are are simultaneously running, you can actually go upstairs and order uh, from the counter up there and usually get, get through it a lot faster. I've yet to see that happen up there. I guess I'm always up there. I'm always there when it's closed. (laughs) And now isn't each, each area is, is, uh, I believe is is named and themed after one of the original thirteen colonies too. I believe each of the different rooms. Yeah, I think I can't I can't remember. I know like um, Foxy Hooves did a breakdown of that, but yeah, uh, something of that nature. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the Magic Kingdom. Um, so let's take the express monorail and then head on over to Epcot. And, we should um, add an asterisk there. It wraps up the Magic Kingdom for now because we know we'll yeah, hear yeah. from you about places we didn't talk about that you miss, like Gurgi's, whatever it is that became <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Potts Covered, but for years carried the name of Gurgi from the Black Cauldron. So Yes, and the Lancers in Lancers and Tomorrowland in. Terrace and yeah, those places. We've yeah. got a little something to do a little at the, towards the end of here that we might hit on some of those, so we'll save that to the end. But... Uh, so let's land ourselves in Epcot here. Uh, Future World. First couple that come to mind is the Sunrise Terrace Restaurant and um, the Good Turn and the Stargate. And uh, anybody remember any of those? And yes, all actually all of those. Because yes. um, <laughs> it's because it's more recent. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, Sunrise Terrace was actually an Italian restaurant, which was kind of surprising. So it was mostly spaghetti and lasagna and. Uh, seemed like a little bit heavy for for our tastes and so i, I think uh i think we avoid we did uh didn't do too much there but that was that um, was later on in the earlier years it was actually fried cod shrimp and chicken 
Oh God! Yeah. So if you ever want some sort of heavy, <laughs> heavy thing, you're like, where can I get some fried cod and some futurism? Well, so what's interesting is that what's called out in the, in here is that the food is not conventional, um, frozen, pre-bedded fare. It's freshly battered, dipped instead. Now keep keep on that theme here because I'm going to hit on it a couple times, which goes back to this whole central food thing that uh, Brian huh. was talking about. So that was novel. For you know, they weren't dumping your bags of frozen tenders into the fryer and, and just just serving. Well, and that was a quick. Was that a sit? That was a sit down, right? Yeah, and they actually was a quick serve. They, it was. Um, I think it. It's under fast food and and snack spots and and. Uh, but what is interesting, they did serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so it was it was going all day. It, I'll tell you, it really, for the breakfast thing. That little terrace that was outside actually really was a pleasant place to sit. Mm. The way it was surrounded by the water and, and stuff before it sort of got like reworked into the electric umbrella. It was it was actually like a lovely little spot. Let's see. Now the Odyssey, why don't we um I've got somebody who worked over the Odyssey, so let's uh a friend of mine, let's give him a call. Hello, Steve, you on the line? I am, hello. Hey Steve, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm well, thank you very much. I appreciate appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So you and I, I remember we, we've gone out to dinner as friends and a couple of times we've, we've spoken and I, we didn't, I didn't even knew, know that you worked down in, at Disney World at any time. And then I think I mentioned something about the podcast and Odyssey and you said, Odyssey, I, I, I worked there. So why don't you tell the, the listeners, we Odyssey, as many of our listeners know and, and um, you know, has become really, it's been deserted over the years and there's not much left of it now. They use it for different functions and People have always said we want to open up. It's in a very unique location, and um, but there's a lot, little information about what went on inside, and and you know a lot of people don't remember what was served and what was going on there. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about behind the doors and behind the scenes there at the Odyssey, and and when you worked there and everything. Sure, sure. So, so yeah, um, what was served there was pretty easy. It was burgers, hot dogs, fries. Uh, uh, sodas. It was a uh, really a lunch stopover uh, between the sort of the future world area of Epcot and then getting out into the the World Showcase area over in Epcot. It was uh, yep. it was actually it was, it was it was geniusly positioned by um, um, by the folks at Disney. Um, you really had only two ways you could transfer over, and, and one of them was was essentially passed almost through the uh, the Odyssey restaurant and. Uh, it, no matter what folks did, whether they, they whether they ran back to the, the sort of the world showcase first, or whether they, like most people would do, sort of go through the future world area, you almost invariably ended up at the Odyssey around lunchtime. Whether you're going sort of backwards through the park or, or forwards through the park, so um, that 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 midday period um, was it seemed like certainly felt like about half the park was it was in the Odyssey restaurant at the time. It's still used quite a bit too as a, as a pass through. I know I've used it and go around. Now most people just duck their heads in and use the bathrooms. You could never keep up with the with the, the volume really. Really, it was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was like for example, we we, we had this bank of of uh, deep fryers. It was probably I want to say it was probably fourteen of them. If you sat there running fries, you would run all. 14 sets of fryers at the same time. And as soon as you'd say, you'd say, start dropping fries, dropping fries, basically it's two big baskets you drop with a bag of fries and then you, you put them into the oil and you start working your way down to number 14. By the time you, by the time you got 
fries dropped at 14, you had to run all the way back up the line again and start pulling the fries, number one, number two, number three. You could, and you still, you still they couldn't keep up. Wow. You couldn't, you couldn't fry French fries fast enough in that joint. It was, it was absolutely, <laughs> it, was, it was just absolutely crazy. Um, now, what, that, what that, years did, what years did you work there? I worked, <laughs> so I worked there in 90, uh, about, about 1990. Um, I figured I'd get a job at a restaurant and, uh, I, I really thought I was getting some, more of a more of a white tablecloth restaurant. When I went in there, it was it was it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't it was nothing I'd ever experienced before. I'd never worked in a um, more of a fast food environment. Um, you were talking about the tomatoes. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell the listeners about the tomato story. Yeah, it was another good example of how uh, just how um, how the volume of of business that was going through there. They uh, they sat me down one day and said, "Okay, well we need to just start slicing these tomatoes. We have to fill these hotel pans. Hotel pans are." Uh, pretty common in the restaurant industry. I'd say it's probably, I don't know, a foot wide by about two and a half feet long. And you'd run a, a, uh, run a tomato through a, a banjo slicer. So it would it'd actually slice the entire tomato in one push. Uh, so you'd start cranking through tomatoes until you filled the, the hotel pan. And that's, that's, I started filling hotel pans and filling hotel pans until I, until I said, okay, uh, I think I'm done filling this hotel pan. He's like, oh, no, no, you're not you're not done. You're, you're never done. You're going you're gonna to sit here all day and slice tomatoes. And, and I did just that. I thought I was in the military. Um, <laughs> you, you couldn't, you couldn't keep the sliced tomatoes on the, on the, on the, the, uh, the bar fast enough. That was just what people were throwing on their burgers. It was the most incredible amounts of, of, of volume. You know, you just, you think, okay, you know, I'm done. Right. Right. Um, right. All day long, just like the fries. Well, year, years ago, people would also sneak up and make free sandwiches by, ordering you know a slice of toast and then they go over the condiments bar and grab the lettuce and the tomato and so you may have been slicing for for freeloaders too we don't know i i think well could i think you pretty much could actually make yourself an entire salad just off of the off of the, the, the sort of the condiments bar if you will yeah between the lettuce the latest and the onions and the pickles and the tomatoes i think you could you could make an entire salad off of that right how brian what year did the odyssey officially close i will certainly say by 98 when I was uh, started to go regularly, I don't remember it being open. Um, I mean, I we'll get some listener who says, "No, it closed on you know January twenty second, two thousand two. You know what? But I, I don't remember it being open uh, by the late nineties, okay. July of ninety four. Yeah, I'm showing there. All right. Well, now, Steve- and if you remember that whole stretch from. From Horizons to World of Motion to mm-hmm. uh, Odyssey was like it was like the old abandoned amusement park from Scooby Doo. Right. Like it was just like you, <laughs> you know, there was like everything's falling apart and closed, and they're knocking stuff down. And that's right, that's right. Were they still doing the uh, character meals when you were working there? I think they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they they like, did like that the hotels and things. They used to do those those types of things. Well, well, Steve, we're going to get you an honorary uh, tomato sticker. I think we'll we'll send down to you. Maybe maybe Hal will make just like a, a T-shirt that just says "I sliced tomatoes at the at the Odyssey." Oh, yeah, we need an Odyssey T-shirt for sure. That you retired by now. Yeah, tomato, tomatoes and burgers and fries. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said, you're one of the only people that we've ever talked to who has, uh, or the only person so far who has worked at the Odyssey. So. Appreciate your time coming on the show, and uh, oh, my pleasure. I'd love to. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, no Steve. Thank Thanks, you very Steve. much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Now the um, the other one in Future World, which was which was a 
this is again kind of a snack place, but they serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Was the was the Stargate restaurant, and um, they had Danish pastries and fruit cups and. Uh, but apparently the, the specialty there was the Stellar Scramble. Does anybody remember the Stellar Scramble? Can't say it that is I a do. Cheese, ham, onions, green pepper, and scrambled eggs as a breakfast pizza. Hmm. So. Oh, oh, yeah, the breakfast pizza. I do remember having that. Yeah, that's what it was called. So, And uh, that stayed until the park closed. It was, it was open quite a bit. But... Uh, yeah, I remember that. Which one? Which one of those became the electric umbrella? Which one was that? The Stargate became the electric umbrella, and the uh, Sunrise Terrace became the Fountain View. Fountain View Restaurant, there which is go. now the Starbucks. Well, let's take a walk over to the land, um, Brian. You've got one that's near and dear to your heart, and I remember eating at the other one in there. So uh, we've touched on the farmers market before, but let's refresh a couple of our listeners and uh, talk about one of your favorite items from there too. Well, if you go back to the Living with the Land episode, we talked about the farmer's market, which uh, to this day is a popular food court location for casual dining in the parks and had the was the one of the locations on the, on the property that you could get the infamous handwich. So I won't uh, regale you with more tales of the handwich because you can go back and listen to that episode. But we did also mention that upstairs was the rotating restaurant, uh, which when the park opened was the good turn. And then a few years later became the land grill room uh, until about 10 years ago when it became the garden grill restaurant. Um, So I have the menu from the land grill room uh, from the late 80s. And there are a couple of interesting things on it. And one of them is the inside jacket cover uh, was the, uh, they, they called it a celebration of America's cuisine and noted that many menu selections feature products grown in our land greenhouses, fresh herbs, vegetables. Those are herbs for our United Kingdom listeners. And even some of our fish are raised here in controlled environments. Uh, and they note that there are healthy choices on the menu as well. It's a very interesting menu because remember at that point it was, um, was it Kraft, right? Was it Kraft that was doing it back then? or Yeah, it was Kraft originally yes. and then Nestle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is occasionally, uh, an, uh, uh, like they throw in that something is served with Kraft dressing or Kraft sauce or things like that. But a very pedestrian menu. Um, you know, nothing like crazy on there. It's just standard shrimp, chicken. Uh, yeah, I guess you had to go for the breakfast pizza across the way if you if you wanted that. But for a starter, you could get spicy chicken wings and drumettes. I don't know what drumettes are, but that was oh, the point. Oh, drumettes look- are the, the part of... There, so there's two style of wings. There's like the wingy wing, and then there's the part that looks like a little <laughs> The wingy wing. Is drum. that a, is that a the poultry drumette. term? The wing? Yes, that's... <laughs> Yeah, there's the actual wing part, and then there's the part that looks like a tiny. That looks like a tiny little chicken. Buffalo wing. Exactly. Yeah. So we always just called them like nowadays up here. I don't know if it's this way in the rest of the country, but if I go in to order buffalo wings here, I can tell them I want all drumsticks, which means that I guess these Uh, drumettes that you can tell them because I don't like that other piece that that the wing piece. Like I like the little. I like the little drum. I like them both. Yeah, I like them both. You gotta fry them. You gotta fry them up crispy. I mentioned them. I mentioned them because they are served right here on the menu with Kraft Blue Trees dressing and celery. So Yum. getting the sponsor. You know it. But the great thing, the great thing is the accompaniments. 
And one of the accompaniments, in addition to potato or a medley of vegetables, is the Trilogy of Rice. Wow. Dun, dun, yes. dun. Let's see. So there's there's Rice Wars, The Rice Strikes Back, <laughs> and Revenge of the Rice. It's, right. it's, it's, uh, it is You've like, gone to the brown side. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I am fascinated by that terminology. Uh, but the best part is the back of this menu... Uh, has a rundown of all of the Kraft brands with their logos. And so it's Kraft, Philadelphia Cream Cheese, Cracker Barrel, Miracle Whip, Seal Test, Velveeta, Parquet, and Light and Lively, which was what they marketed yogurts and milks like skim milk back then. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. And so I suppose I should mention the desserts. Uh, nothing exciting here. Angel food cake, chocolate mousse cake, Baked apple tart for two. We talked about that in that land episode because they serve that a couple of different places on the property. So anyway, that is the uh, that is the land grill room, which is still rotating today, except everything is served family style. And Chippendale and Mickey's and Pluto stop by to visit you now during that meal. So so Brian, let's let's just take a quick walk over to the coral reef that's been there since since the opening, because I have another. Uh... Got another anecdote about that one as well, along the lines, ironically, of fish. And so what do you have first? Well, I just wanted to note that uh, one of the things they used to do there, and we have a copy of it, is they would hand out a fish finder. It was a little, uh, it was a little fold-over booklet. Uh, it looks one. like um, yeah. uh, Todd's got one. Uh, I got one. I got to get it up. I have. Yeah, where you would, you know, they'd give it to kids uh, or adults who were dining in in the restaurant there, which looks out onto the aquarium if you've never been there. Uh, And so you can look at fish while you eat fish. And uh, these guys, it would tell you the different kinds of fish that are in the, like little cartoon drawings of the different kinds of fish that are in the tank. And kids could color them in and circle them as, as the fish swam by, and they could identify them. It gave them something to do during the, during the meal. So that was a neat thing that they used to do. So in the fish finder here, we've got a whole bunch of them. We have Sergeant Major, the pork fish, the yellow-tailed damselfish, a blue tang, the chub, <laughs> the grouper. I, I don't even know some of these. The spot butterfly fish and the hogfish. But, yeah, show it to the guys here. It's it's great. And they, they on the back, it gives some statistics of the, of the living seas uh, tank and um, you know, staff of 40 technical specialists work on it. So I mentioned earlier about the Stargate restaurant, or, I'm sorry, the Sunrise Terrace and being fresh fish and battered. And when I was reading through Birnbaum the other night, I came across something regarding the um, Empress Room on the Empress Lily where they questioned the freshness of the fish. And when the coral reef you know, opened in, was that, it was uh, 1986 when it opened, and uh, this is the 1986 edition of Birnbaum. And what he actually says in here is the menu will feature fresh fish and shellfish, a welcome offering since much of the world's seafood is frozen. So, you know, three, four references in this guidebook alone to, you know, a big deal of the of the of the seafood being fresh um, in these specific restaurants so, and also calling out when it wasn't. So uh, kind of interesting there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how much that has to do with Central Foods and, and everything else. And this, these were quite a departure, having stuff flown in. But, you know, hey, Red Lobster was doing it. Why couldn't they do it for one restaurant or two um, in the resort? So anyway, kind of, kind of an interesting little thing that I found. But let's talk a, take a walk over into World Showcase. And um, do you guys remember eating in uh, Le Cellier before it became 
the sit-down restaurant when it was buffet? I did don't eat over there. I don't remember eating there, but I do have a menu from there. Uh, you do? For, well, yeah, I, 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 I do. I have a La Cellier menu from just I have my note here says the 1980s uh, because it there was a period of time it went through two different iterations. Uh, if you recall, at one point it was a buffet, um, a, buffet right, right. A, a buffeteria, which was Disney's use of the term for <laughs> buffets. I ate there in '96. It was still a buffet then. Yeah, so and I it was, have. It was really good. I have a uh, a sit down menu that probably was their first attempt at actually creating a, a steakhouse there versus what it was. The cheddar cheese soup at the time, if we're dating this, was two dollars and ninety-five cents, which today it's like nine bucks or whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I don't know when that puts this menu, uh, but they had the ice, the Canadian ice wine there, and um, Labatt's was on tap. Labatt's was on tap, and Molson, yep. and Elephant Red. Uh, but really, I, I'm looking at this menu, and there's nothing else that's particularly exciting. It's just steak and uh, pasta and glazed salmon. Here, here's a great quote. It talks about all the offerings, and it says, The combination of all this should make Les Cellier a prime destination for those who haven't been able to get a dinner reservation in one of the more publicized World Showcase restaurants, but still want to eat something more substantial. That's so, so funny because it's isn't the reverse funny? now. I mean, a complete opposite. Complete. You can't even get in. Um, and it says you should avoid the rush hours. Well, yeah, don't eat between five thirty and eight. We know that. So, so a lot of things really haven't changed in World Showcase, right? I mean, the Rose and Crown, maybe some menu changes over the years, uh, but most well, I mean, of the restaurants, yeah, they've they've all undergone menu changes. They have added restaurants. Um, yep. so, I mean, obviously we know they added spice road table in front of Morocco, uh, which is what, uh, so yeah, Via Napoli was new. Um, but there was an, there was, what was the other restaurant in Italy that was there? The, uh, well, when they the, opened, uh, the original Alfredo's was there and that was right. opened by the family that created Fettuccine Alfredo in Italy. Uh, so they opened their restaurant there and, uh, the most fattening possible way to serve pasta was, uh, was there for, for you know for for fame and I remember my one time eating there. Uh, it was like a billion and four degrees in Florida that day, <laughs> and so I make my way back and I for some reason decide it's a great day to have this butter and cheese pasta, uh, like the heaviest thing that you could possibly have for lunch. I remember getting about ten bites in and being like. I can't possibly put another forkful of this in my mouth, and I feel ill. Uh, I am, <laughs> I am sure for Fettuccine Alfredo fans, it was, uh, it was a great destination. But the day that I experienced it was the abs. You know, remember that scene in Anchorman where he's in the phone booth chugging the milk, and he goes, "Oh, milk was yeah. a bad choice today." That was me. <laughs> that was me eating the Fettuccine Alfredo. That that was the first place I ever ate Fettuccine Alfredo. And- really. Probably yes. That because I, I was yeah, just, that was the place that had right. it. And then I tried it later on at the Olive Garden. It was like, bleh, bleh, what is this? This is not 
this is not the same as what I had at Epcot. So <laughs> I, it ruined me on Fettuccine Alfredo. But I've heard other people say that they didn't care for it there. They liked I, it much better at other places. I so. didn't have, I believe when I, the only time I ate there was 96. Uh, and I believe I had chicken parm. I, it was I had it. really good. It was uh, my first Epcot trip. Didn't enjoy it. Very thick. Just It was a heavy yeah. Fettuccine Alfredo. Did it have the sing like singing waiters? Don't like, know if they had the singing waiters in there. They had. They were very as they were in a lot of those restaurants. I mean, France and uh, both of the restaurants in France. You know, jacketed waiters with the with the you know the towel over their one arm and I mean very. Fa- they went very fancy for a lot of those for a lot of those sit down restaurants and World Showcase at the time. Um, so, but they've added the wine bar as well uh, to. Yeah, and, and uh, Tutto Italia is now now in where Alfredo Alfredo the original Alfredo's is right Alfredo, and yeah. and uh, the the one the other one that uh, obviously is a major addition was they built the second Mexican restaurant on the water. Mm-hmm. Well, they built it on the water, but it doesn't have water views, which is an odd <laughs> odd thing that they did there. When they put that restaurant, it's probably seven or eight years ago now, right? That they that they opened that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's got to be right. You know, somewhere around there that they opened that second, the, originally the San Angel Inn, which is still inside, uh, and then outside, uh, the name is escaping me at the moment. But they, they La Hacienda the, de San Angel, which confuses a lot of people right. because they, it's it's like, yeah, it's the same same name twice. So just with a slight difference to it. Yeah. So they've added that. Um, I I have those two menus from the beer garden. So we should mention uh, that the beer garden for a long time was uh, you ordered off of a menu. It was not a buffet uh, in the back as it is now. So for years you would go in there and order. And one of the reasons I remember this is... On our trip there in either 95 or 98, uh, we went to the beer garden and I ordered duck, which is not something that I had eaten before. And I got violently, <laughs> violently ill. And so as a result, uh, unless you serve me like a duck egg roll or something, I do not eat duck. So beer garden eternally ruined it for me 20 years ago. I ate there. I think I ate there w- once or twice and uh, it was buffet by that point. But I, I don't know that. The buffets or buffeterias, as we, as you mentioned earlier, they, I don't know. I always find the cost, the cost prohibitive, at least. Yeah. Especially when you're traveling with a child in tow. <laughs> so before we ended up, Brian, you've got some children's menus, and I've got some. So while we're in Epcot, you, you've got some from France, and then I'll talk about a couple of the kids' menus that I've got here as well. Well, it's an interesting uh, study to see how tastes change and how they tried to up their game. In 1982, I have a very cool um, kids menu that was used at both Chefs de France and Bistro de Paris. Those are the upstairs and downstairs restaurants in France. Uh, And they had the same kids menu for both with some really cool characters across the top. And it was a breast of chicken, uh, ground beef steaks. Well, it was a hamburger that they dressed up to sound like something fancy. And then... uh, a filet of orange ruffy. So those were your three three options for kids. And they were all four bucks, by the way, $3.99 for those in 1982. Four years later in 1986, uh, much fancier. So they had uh, a beef braised with carrots and onions. This is a kid's menu. 
Um, a casserole of, this is macaroni and cheese with chicken. Casserole of chicken breast and macaroni topped with Swiss cheese. Or, and I, you know, I can't imagine a kid wanting this, but a large crepe filled with minced beef mushrooms topped with tomato and cheese. Mommy, I just want chicken fingers. (laughs) Well, (laughs) as you touched on earlier, chicken fingers didn't really come into their own until a few nuggets were kind of just coming around in 82, 83. So uh, when did McDonald's actually start the chicken nuggets? McNuggets was either 82 or 83. I forget. I mean, I remember it because I was a kid at the time and it was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever. These chicken McNuggets. But, uh, but yeah, so you're just at the beginning of the nugget phase. And my recollection of chicken tenders and chicken strips was they were more of a 90s thing. Um, I mean, I know they were around before that, but I don't remember them replacing nuggets until the 90s. <laughs> so there's your history of chicken nuggets and chicken <laughs> strips. <laughs> so I have a couple other, as we leave Epcot here, I have a couple other kids menus before we wrap up i have one from uh, bon famille in port, port orleans resort which brian you mentioned earlier um the kids menu that you had was uh it was a coloring book right and um, this one here is a a photo album that apparently follows the the characters um what was the character this is the from the aristocats and it has an entire story to go through and and the the menu at the end for two ninety five, you know, it, it really kind of hard to figure what you're eating. One is called Scales, which is apparently a grilled cheese sandwich, and the uh, Jazzy Gator is um, hot dogs served with curly fries. And there was one really odd one in here. Um, oh, here it is. Here, the roll ups: peanut butter and jelly stuffed pancakes dipped in batter, fried, and then topped with powdered sugar. So interesting so it's it's great that you bring up Bonfamis because i wanted to talk before we end the show about both Bonfamis and about ariel's which are two resort restaurants uh that opened with their with their resorts and then were closed uh after the turn down or downturn rather in tourism after 9-11 and they've neither one has ever reopened uh the one Bonfamis, which is in port orleans french quarter uh, was a sit-down restaurant. I have the menu here. Uh, I just actually sent to you guys the drink menu because I am interested in Hal's take on some of these uh, drink concoctions that they offered. Um, but it's the Nolan's Ice, which was a combination of peach, blackberry, and banana in a creamy blend topped with dark rum. Sounds very refreshing. Huh. Yes. I think the first one's trying to be a hurricane, the Mardi Gras punch. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. Fruity rum punch that made New Orleans famous. But while you guys look at that, there were a couple of interesting menu items here that they really stuck with the Cajun um, uh, theme at the restaurant. I mean, the, the whole the whole menu has a lot of gumbo and andouille sausage and things like that. But two appetizers I want to mention, the fire and ice Cajun grilled shrimp. Served with a cool bread salad. Bread salad sounds good. Eh. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll take that. Thank you. The, yeah, the second one, which is Cajun popcorn, and mm. that was deep-fried crawfish tails seasoned with Cajun spices and accompanied by a Cajun remoulade sauce. Uh, so, I, yeah, I thought both of those were interesting types of things yeah. you wouldn't catch on the menus today. 
Uh, well, you might catch on the menus today, but for a long time you wouldn't. But uh, on and if we move over to the entrees, there were a couple on here that uh, it's got all the stuff you would expect, which is etouffee and scallops and shrimp. And there is uh, one of the last places I remember seeing before the foodie revolution of the last five or six years in the parks. Uh, and I attempt to incorporate citrus, a seared citrus trout. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, that was one of the a fillet, fresh fillet of rainbow trout pan seared and topped with a delicate citrus butter sauce with mashed sweet potatoes nice. and sauteed vegetables for sixteen ninety nine. This is the last menu that they actually served in the restaurant before they closed it in 2001. So uh, that is one of the things that we're going to put up on our on our site. Uh, but I also have the menu and want to mention Ariel's and Ariel's was the sit down restaurant in the beach club so the yacht club opened and it had uh the captain's grill which was their casual restaurant and the uh and the yachtsman steakhouse which is their higher end one and the beach club has the cape may cafe uh which is their more casual and then ariel's which was their fancier sit-down restaurant and they closed ariel's after 9-11 and it has never reopened except unlike bonfamies Aerials is available for private events so you can you know rent aerials for a cocktail reception or a wedding reception or anything like that and if you're in the beach club you see it being used fairly regularly uh, if you pass by it's actually in use right now because as they've been renovating the yacht club uh they temporarily located captain's galley over there so i had opportunity to eat there a few months back um and eat in the air. So they've kept the decor. It's got, uh, it's got, it looks like obviously ocean blues and all that inside, but it's got uh, kind of uh, Murano glass uh, sculptures from the ceiling that are look like fish and octopus and things like that. But so I have the menu here from that. And I want to mention a couple of the things that were on that menu. Obviously there's plenty of seafood uh, where, and the, the big, item on the menu was where the sea meets the land which was their surf and turf options which they had beef and they had lobster uh, but the real reason that i would have probably wanted to go there is ariel's strudel which is not a dessert it's a fresh chicken breast accompanied by ricotta cheese fresh basil pastry and a creamy champagne mushroom sauce sounds Ooh. very rich and very delicious that ariel can cook <laughs> <laughs> now that she has her Single hopper. Yes. So that's it. I just wanted to mention Ariel's because yeah. uh, there are not a lot of defunct resort restaurants that are just kind of sitting there unused. But Bonfamies and Ariel's are just sitting there. So yeah, it's a shame. I know they used Bonfamies uh, at some point when they redid the Riverworks. And I got uh, to eat there too. They, it was open it was when I was there New Year's week, uh, Christmas week, uh, two years ago, 2015. Uh, they opened it for like a 12-day stretch with this uh, Cajun uh, family-style meal. And we had, not only do we have a great meal there, uh, but we had a great time because the place, it's like a time capsule. I mean, they built that resort in 1990 and, uh, and the restaurant is just is perfectly in great condition and it's unchanged. Uh, so the cover of the Bonfamies menu is the fountain that they have in this little courtyard there. And when we were there, it was all closed up. And so I asked the server, I said, is it okay if we go out and take some pictures in this courtyard they built? 
And she said, yeah, go ahead. The doors are open. So we went out and we took about 15 minutes worth of pictures <laughs> just looking around at everything out there. It's really neat. I ate there a number of years ago. I, I enjoyed it. It's yeah. sad to see it close. But, um, yeah, the belt tightening. Well, as we wrap this up, guys, I got a little thing. We, we don't normally do this, but I wanted to test some of your the knowledge here. So here's what I'm going to do. I have about 10 or 12 obscure restaurant and snack bar names all around mid-80s. I'm just going to call one out, and whoever can tell me where it is the fastest will get a point. We'll do a couple of these. I'm just curious how many of these oddball ones uh, we, we can yep. pick out here. So you guys, you guys good with that? I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. So here's the first one. And then some of these – get my score pad here. Some of these may not be, you know, overly familiar, and some may be. But uh, all right. Here's the first one, the Beach Shack. All right, so let's see here. Um, the Dock Inn. That's my cricket sound. <laughs> They're a great heavy metal band. Nobody wants to be wrong. This, uh, this, this could completely fail here. No, that was at the Contemporary. All right. Nice. All right, let's see if we can find. The Enchanted Grove. The Enchanted oh, Grove is Magic Kingdom, right uh, by the yeah, uh, Fantasy Land. Right by the teacups. Tea yeah. Yep. All right, you got that. Sponsored one. by Minute Maid. The Fisherman's Deck. Fisherman's Deck was uh, oh. it was at the Empress Lily. Empress Lily. In fact, oh, Brian got it in there. In Brian fact, I have there. the menu for it. All right, here's one. How you should get this one. The Lancer's Inn. Oh, yeah, Mag- Fantasyland. Yeah, Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. became Gurgi's. That's right. There we go. And then became Mrs. Potts Cupboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Mile Long Bar. Um, Frontierland, yeah, Magic Kingdom, next to the Country Bear Jamboree. You got it. With the famous double mirror effect. Yep. The Outer Reef. Not the Outer the Rim, outer right? Reef. Not the Outer Rim, the Outer Reef. I want to say Living Seas, but no. Huh. No, no, it's a tricky one. It actually is what was the what is now the Outer Rim. Oh, <laughs> it was okay. called the Outer Reef. I'm going to give myself huh. credit for it. Then. I will get, no, we'll give you credit for that. We're going to put, you, put an X down there. All right, let's see here. Uh, the Players Gallery. Golf Resort. Yeah. You got it, How? All right, you guys are neck and neck here. So, um, Pops Place. Oh, that's uh, uh, River um, Country. Oh, there you go, JT. You're on the board. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. The Sandbar. Contemporary. There you go, JT. You're catching up. All right. The Space Bar. Uh, that's uh, Tomorrowland. Boom. How? The Starboard Lounge. Huh. I'll go with the Yacht Club. No. Starboard. Any guesses? Caribbean Beach. No. I'll just keep guessing. <laughs> All right. We're going to end it there. It was on the main deck of the Empress Lily. Oh. oh. All right. And let's we didn't have here. the gold key playing, so we couldn't go there. <laughs> I never did. <laughs> I did. Uh, we ter- ate at the Empress Lily. Yeah. Oh, I, no, I ate. I never went to that room. I, I had a, uh, we did a character breakfast there, yeah. All right, a couple more here. The Terrace Cafe. Tomorrowland? No. Lord, there are terrace, terraces there terrace everywhere. Club? Is that the golf resort? No. It was the Contemporary, adjoining the, no. the Terrace Buffeteria. Buffeteria. <laughs> All right. Here's a rare one. The Thirsty Perch. Oh, that was on Discovery Island, there right? There you go. Got it. Yep, yep. Uh, the tournament tent. 
Go oh, for Sword um, Nope. No, that's Fantasyland. Fantasyland. Oh, that's they're correct. going with the, the horses. Yep. And the... You go. All right. Trophy room. Golf resort. Golf resort. And let's see here. We're going to leave, leave it with an, an easy one here. The Villa Center. At the Walt. <laughs> The Lake Buena Vista Villas? The Villas, yes. The Vacation yeah, Villa Pool area. But they really stretched for that. Yeah, I didn't. Game, didn't, didn't they? But I, I would, so our total here, how one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Brian with four, and JT with two. What I thought was interesting, a lot of them are very, you know, misleading. You know, like even even you said, JT, the, uh, the Outer Reef sounds like Coral Reef. And what does the Outer Reef have to do with the fourth floor of the Contemporary yeah, really. Story? You know? I, so. I want to I want to post a disclaimer though at the end of this episode here as we're wrapping up. Uh, we know we did not touch it all on Lake Buena Vista and the downtown Disney. There is a that I mean that could be a whole episode just of the things that have come and gone from down there. You know, even into Pleasure Island and the Missing Link and places like that that we could touch on. And we did not spend a lot of time in the resorts, and there's a lot to talk about in the resorts. So. Uh, at the risk of putting you all to sleep, uh, I think we'll we'll stick a, a, a pin in those and maybe uh, come back to them either in an episode or come back to them periodically as a filler in some of our future episodes. Um, yeah, give us some feedback. If this was something you'd like us to continue on, I know we've done souvenir ones and we had listener questions and we got a lot of great positive feedback on that. But if this is something that a lot of our listeners don't want to hear about, we'll, we'll gladly... Uh, take the pin out and, and not return. I know we've got a lot of other things. To and do, I, but, and I completely uh, forgot to mention the Adventureland veranda serving tray that I have hanging on the wall. Oh in yeah. The room. I, I got the goofy kids breakfast that turns into the splattered <laughs> eggs mask, you know, <laughs> put on, we've, and that, a lot and that, more. And that menu you have there, which uh, is a late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Uh, that also has the goofy toast on it, right? That is the, it's really just eggs in a hole, toad in the hole. Yeah. Uh, Exactly, yeah, it's, Goofy it's, Toast, yep. Yeah, yeah. it has the Mickey cake and the Miffy, Mickey waffle on it. So, well, with that, well, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. We have a couple things to go over before uh, we, we wrap this all up. Yeah, and we have, uh, we have, I have the three original menus from the opening of MGM. So I have the 50s Primetime, the Sci-Fi Dining, and the Brown Derby, uh, all of which when we go live with our menu section on our website. Uh, those will all be there for you, along with a lot of this other stuff we've talked about. So some yep. real cool stuff coming for you. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get the site up by the time the podcast episode hits. Oh, no, 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 be, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> no. it'll be coming. It'll be definitely coming. There's a lot, lot of work to do on it. Stay tuned. That's right. Uh, and I'm sure Hal wants to talk about the Catwalk Bar. So we'll do that at some point. And we want oh, your menus yeah. still. Yeah. If you have menus, That's right. email you got them menus? to us. Send them in and thank or you. Or pictures from inside the restaurants. Yep, any of that anything. stuff. So, all right, as always, we will go over our merchandise, which you can find at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. And uh, how you did you get any inspiration from this episode? Well, you know, the, the one thing that uh, that I really struck me about Brian's uh, stuff the last time we talked about this was the hand witch. Yeah. So uh, I'm one. There's this sort of like this style of art, which oddly enough it's like i've been i've been doing sketches of this for like a year and a half like waiting for the right time to put it out oh wow and now and now there's there's actually like an official disney line of like cute 
like little food items and attraction vehicles and things. So I'm going to do a really cute handwich t-shirt. There we go. Um, little A little kawaii, like cutesy uh, hand. So as always, you can find all of Howe's designs at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. We've got the Universe of Energy shirts from last week with the Radox screens are looking back at tomorrow shirts. And um, you can find all the different great merchandise. Keep your eyes peeled for us on Twitter and, and Facebook. We let you know when they've when there's sales. And um, there's been a couple big ones recently, 20 and 30% off. So keep your eyes peeled for those. Um, speaking of the event, we've got our event coming up on September 30th uh, at the Living Seas Lounge. Guys, are you getting excited yet? I know there's a lot we want to say about it, and we can't yet. We've had some wonderful developments um some we can talk about we did announce that uh, uh corin gillis will be will be joining us who has uh, played the granddaughter in horizon she's going to be there telling us a little bit about her experience of being filmed and turned into an audio animatronic figure uh there's a lot of stuff we can't talk about yet that has transpired in the past couple couple days and weeks so i mean I the little the extra tidbits that I have found out it's like I think everyone is going to be very pleasantly surprised by I'm, some of the I'm excited secret to, guests. Yeah, I'm excited to go to the event and I already know everything that's going to happen. <laughs> Brian's got that watching your kid at Christmas feeling, you know, you start getting all the gifts and then you're excited for them to open them. That's That's yeah. right. That, that, but that, I don't I don't want to have to put them together oh, on no, event well. Eve. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there certainly has been a lot of work going into this the planning and um, we're all going to be partaking in a lot to get this thing uh, done and we have a very small window to set up and get everything going but uh, Disney's been uh, really great to work with we should have all the final things tallied up and taken care of in the next week or so uh, and then it's just a matter of getting ourselves down there and waiting but um, we can't wait to see every one of you uh, coming to it I know our guests are excited about it. Um, and we cannot wait to show you what we have in store and uh, present everything to you. So I think you're really going to have a great time. And um, so looking forward to it. As we mentioned, there is a waiting list. Um, so if you're interested in putting your name on that waiting list, uh, go to retrowdw.com forward slash Epcot 35. And um, we did have two tickets that we released on a waiting list earlier this week. We might have some more. Uh, potentially, but uh, keep your eyes peeled. If we can, we'll do what we can to get a couple more people in the door. So for those of you who may not be able to make the event on uh, September 30th, we are going to have a chance for you guys to meet up with us and do a short walking tour um, of some areas within Epcot. And um, it's going to be between the two events that D23 is putting on. I believe one end probably around 3.30. I think the other one picks up around 5.30 or 6, if I recall correctly. 2.30. Um, the one ends at 2.30? Okay. So as we get closer and, and we know a specific meeting place and time that we're going to do that, the four of us will take you around and point out some things. And um, there's no charge for this. It's just going to be meet up with us and uh, we'll, we'll walk around and show you a couple of the things that we know at Epcot that are, you know, little uh, pieces of the past that are still there. So we're looking forward to, to meeting some of you that way too if you can't join in on the main event. Um, all right. So with that, guys... Um, we were going to talk about some films this month, but obviously we're out of time. We've been going for a while, so maybe we'll table that to next month. But a lot of great new films coming out. We released another one from 1972 this week. Um, Brian, you 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 took the weekend uh, off essentially and watched 15 different films. I, I, wor I worked. I worked all weekend. I <laughs> you worked all weekend. 
And you've seen the footage. You've seen it all now, as opposed to I've edited it all and cleaned it up. You've actually sat down and watched it. We got some pretty cool stuff coming. I, I, I tweeted last night that uh, having sat through it all, uh, some of which we're holding for our events, some of which we are holding for uh, future big anniversaries and stuff that, that we've got cool. But we have some stuff on film, more than one thing. I mentioned the, the Polynesian second floor tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, that we have this footage outside of the Coral Isle Cafe and some other areas around the Polynesian. But we've got a film, we've got something on film uh, that isn't at Disney anymore, that was only there in the 70s, uh, that I'm, to our knowledge, no one has film of. Uh, no. So it's, uh, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's something we're going to roll out. Uh, maybe i don't know when we'll do it but when we some, do a, some, that, that, yeah i think there's a couple episodes where we could roll that out and yeah. i don't even know there's not many photos of this there thing. are sparse photos of this sparse, yeah. very interesting item but but to my knowledge there is no photos or footage of it moving and right. we've got footage of it moving so right uh, this is an exciting thing and we'll let you all wonder maybe we'll hold a contest and yeah, whoever, so who whoever, guess get, whoever guesses it blindly and sends us an email uh, or a tweet or something and gets it right, we'll, uh, well, maybe we'll let you see it before everybody else. That's right. That's right. So send your send your guesses to podcast at retrowdw.com and uh, just title it Film Guess and we'll see uh, see if see if you can figure it out. But um, yeah, so a lot of exciting things coming up. We also also um, acquired a couple other films that we'll be sending off. And uh, we've got some Epcot footage and a lot of other great things coming your way. So stay tuned on that. And um, our famous friends Art and Linda will be making a reappearance a couple times, not only in the fall, but in the holiday season, You're too. We're going to be spending about 40 minutes with Art and Linda over the course yeah. of the next six months. Right through to Christmas with the pageantry. They've got, they. If, if anybody remembers, Art and Linda were the ones that we had the Fort Wilderness Railroad footage. And uh, they did their honeymoon there. They went back with their first child. And uh, they took a lot of really, really interesting footage and a lot of some things that aren't even there anymore. So, yep, be great to see. And were they going to be on the walking tour? Or we have no evidence. We have no evidence they ever made it to Epcot. So. No, we don't. And the funny thing is, is that I accidentally sent their wedding reel in when I sent them all in. So I paid to have their entire three hundred foot wedding. <laughs> <laughs> converted so if you know art and linda uh let them know i have their wedding i accidentally digitized their wedding we should yet. we should we that should be our next event we should have a wedding reception for art and linda, art and linda. Run, run run the film and put a full wedding reception on that's right that's right so like they have to be out there their kids or I know, somebody I know. so but anyway well with that everybody thank you very much for listening we appreciate all your comments and and emails, your tweets. Um, like I said, the feedback, as always, has been wonderful and positive and, and really appreciated. Um, if you can, give us a review and a shout-out on iTunes or anywhere else. There are uh, reviews for us. And uh, until next month, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro WDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Retro WDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen. 
and on the web at kingdomofmemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at rubbercitymotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Music